This is Jimmy Stewart, here to tell you that this episode of The Shamley Silhouette was pre-recorded in February of 2020. Stay safe, stay well, and enjoy this conversation about a film that doesn't feature the Jimster. I read somewhere once that you'd made a remark that uh, romantic man and romantic lady leading roles, the people who play those are inevitably very much in love with each other by the well, time they Well, that's it. because, you know, one hears of so many multiple marriages in Hollywood, you know, women have had four husbands and vice versa. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really because they meet in a love scene in a picture and they bring it to life and truth after six o'clock, in the dressing room, preferably. Have you ever caught them doing this? Uh, no, not myself, because mm -hmm. I like to be home at six o'clock. Oh, I see. <laughs> but they, they apparently don't. But you suspect but I think it. that's one of the reasons why you find uh, mm -hmm. uh, multiple marriages uh, in Hollywood. You know, every man has been married about two or three times. That's because he meets a different woman every film that comes along. Are you suggesting that Grace Kelly then was in love with James Stewart and then with Cary Grant and then with, uh, who else was there, um, Ray Milland and... Well, I wouldn't uh, particularize on it because uh, <laughs> For I'm, I'm generalizing. Oh, I see. Okay. And he's not an army man either. Who? Generalizing. Oh, generalizing, no. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's... You like all kinds of horror, don't you? Bad puns? <laughs> Not bad pun. Puns are the highest form of literature. There, there are those who would agree with you. to the Shamley Silhouette, yet another analysis of the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. I am your host, Zach Eastman, and this is a, a wonderful opportunity that we are about to embark on today. But before we get into today's proceedings, I want to thank the previous guest, Marshall Rosales, for coming back once again to talk about 3D, to talk about Grace Kelly's first entrance into the Hitchcock realm, and to talk about how technology can improve a storyteller's ability to tell those stories. Um, if you haven't watched the 3D version of Dial in for Murder and you have the ability to watch it, seek it out. You can watch it in that format and kind of see what Hitchcock was going for in terms of utilizing that technology. And as always, thank you to Bradley Haig for giving this a home on the Real Nerds podcast feed. Without him, it would just be me talking to myself in my basement with my friends and them calling the cops afterwards because that's unstable. Unstable, that's the word. Um, <laughs> but uh, today we're actually going to go backward a little bit. Um, if anybody who listens to this show, uh, all, all two of you, would recall that we first discussed 
uh, Hitchcock by way of Cary Grant, that suave, debonair mofo who uh, charmed audiences all throughout the golden age of Hollywood. And we talked about his four films that he had uh, done with Mr. Hitchcock, uh, those being Suspicion, Notorious, To Catch a Thief, and North by Northwest, the latter being obviously the prime example of a Hitchcock film. But what's interesting is that out of those four, one of them is considered to be one of the least Hitchcockian movies ever made. Uh, thus, some said by fans, critics, people who assess his work, and it is probably due to the fact that it is much lighter in its tone, a little bit more springy in its step, and less seeped into the dark, macabre humor that Hitchcock was known for. I speak, of course, of To Catch a Thief uh, from 1955. Um, I thought it would be best to... Um, talk about this film again from the perspective of it being the least Hitchcockian film. Um, here to discuss this with me is an old, old, old friend, old, old, old friend, who uh, is a, is a creative in and of itself. Uh, he writes, he directs, he acts, he does a lot of things, guys. But of mo first and foremost, he is a fan of this movie. In a world where there are very few fans of this movie. <laughs> and I wanted to get him on this podcast regardless of what he would decide. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Willicks. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you for having me. Big, big Papa Willicks. You are here. You are here on the Shamley Silhouette. It I took know. forever. Finally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. After so long. And, and what's amazing is that, like, you know, we talked about, like, doing To Catch a Thief and my hesitation at first was like, well, we already technically talked about it. But then as time went on, it was becoming more clear of like, if I can get people to bring a different perspective onto things we've already discussed, that only yeah. helps the broader scope of this series. And you have been very vocal about To Catch a Thief's my favorite. <laughs> it it's, is. It's my favorite Hitchcock film. And um, it was my first Hitchcock film. Really? That, that might be the reason, but... Yeah, it is. It is definitely my favorite. My second favorite being Psycho. Yeah. So, I well, mean, if that puts things into perspective. <laughs> well, there, there's a part of you that likes diamond heists on the Riviera, and then there's a part of you that likes to dress up as your mom. Is what you're telling me? Absolutely. Yes. yes exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is what yeah. I do. <laughs> and sometimes I try to do them both at the same time. It's very, very awkward when you try to do that. You, you are no longer allowed in Cannes, right? You are no longer. That's right. Allowed, yeah. yeah. No, no, I've been banned from the French Riviera. Uh, <laughs> The Cote d'Azur. It's, uh, it's the only it's, reason uh, you're not allowed at that film festival. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, but so that kind of answers the question of how you get into Hitchcock. So then I'll I'll ask it in a different way: Is what compels you to get into Hitchcock um, past that point, like after watching that? Well, so the like the main person who I can owe my love of movies to is my mom. Um, she that's why you dress up like her yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um but but i mean like she was the one who would show me just all kinds of movies growing up and like one day she was like here watch to catch a thief you know and, and as a kid i was just like i i loved like adventure movies you mm -hmm. know and, and light-hearted uh comedies and stuff like that so i didn't when i when, when i w would watch to catch a thief when i was young i didn't watch it as like this is a Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. I watched it as, oh, cool. My favorite guy from Charade <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, is, no, I love is, you bringing is, this up. is in another movie taking place in France. Mm -hmm. and he's playing, uh, you know, an ex-jewel thief. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little bit of suspense 
in with this romantic comedy thing. So you're not even attaching it to a director at this point. And not no, no, I didn't get I didn't do that till I, you know, really kind of got into film, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was in high school and uh, decided like, oh, I really like film. Film is my thing. So, Yeah. yeah, that's. And that's kind of where you find stuff like Psycho or The Birds. Yeah, and, uh, and sa- same thing with Psycho. Like, my mom would tell stories about Psycho. Like, my, my grandmother took her to – they went to that film when my mom was – I think my mom was 10 or 11 when Psycho came out. Oh, wow. So that movie really kind of messed up my mom. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so, like, that's the reason my mom doesn't watch horror movies at all. Did she go during the initial, like, in, the, in yeah. 1960? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. So, yeah. But, so she's got the experience of just, like, don't tell anybody after you've left. Yeah. She's probably so petrified she doesn't <laughs> yeah. even have to speak. And she probably saw To Catch a Thief in the theater hmm. with my grandparents as well. So That's that's pretty awesome. So she passed the legacy down. So I think you. she just was, like, when I was little, she was just like, I'm just going to show him the movies that I saw when i was a kid so right yeah, that's so that's where my my focal point of coming into hitchcock is it's, yeah yeah and it's and it's actually interesting you know so you're a little older than me um but we kind of grew up in this period of time where we still had we had vhs and whatnot but there right. was also a level of what directors are revered yeah. And I think when uh I mean I you would have been older when I like what like in high school when I was kind of going through this. But the way I got into Hitchcock was through that um ad on the VHS for the Mummy where they showed the uh the Alfred Hitchcock collection and when they were first advertising. Oh yeah. And they have that uh synthy version of the uh uh March of the Marionettes. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds very 90s. Yeah. I put a clip of it on the the website but that's like one of those things like when you're a kid and you're hearing about directors for the first time Spielberg comes up obviously yeah I think George Lucas is honestly the first one I really identify as a director because of those introductions in front of the Star Wars tapes. yeah for, I mean for me yeah the two the 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 two directors that I was like oh these guys are directors and they have a, a body of work was George Lucas and Steven Spielberg for right sure. and yeah. then and then you keep going and going and like it's weird like Hitchcock comes like not too far after that and right. it's primarily yeah. because they 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 sold he's like a director that much like a Spielberg and even a Lucas, there's a uh, a personality behind yeah. the director itself. Like where it's 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 that part of what you're going for in a Hitchcock movie yeah. is watching him introduce it or uh, latching onto that personality and going like I want to dig into his sense of style and his yeah. you know sense of insanity. Yeah. Um. And so with Hitchcock, it's interesting how like what like. We're we're now we're now obviously it's the year's now twenty twenty guys and if you're listening to this in twenty fifty, um, Hitchcock's still revered, but I think that other directors have surmounted him as like the legends we now ultra dissect. So that Hitchcock, he's still dissected, but I think he's taken more of a backseat by comparison to other filmmakers. Right, mm-hmm. but he among the older guard is the one that we talk about the most because we don't really talk about john houston that much anymore when we talk <laughs> about orson wells it's usually about his later sadder years yeah and um and i mean we talk about we, we don't even talk about raw walsh or william wyler anymore to save our lives so hitchcock <laughs> lies in that field of a a, a a filmmaker whose films have stood up to the test of time regardless of how old they are yeah so you know, this is the second time we've been able to do this on the show. Um, first time being last week, where we watched the movie before 
we talk about it. Um, I haven't been doing that on this show. <laughs> I'm surprised at that. It's well, it's, it's it's mainly a scheduling thing. But with Dial In for Murder, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, Dial In for Murder was a situation where. I have no way to watch the 3D print, and Marshall was gracious enough to show it to me, and he was very excited to do so. Okay, with this cool. one with you, I really enjoyed watching this movie with you today yeah. because I've seen it many times, uh, and especially with starting this series, I've gone through it at least four times. Oh, okay, cool. So this is like the fifth time I've gone through it, and watching it with your perspective on it and just what you're enjoying out of it, it's fascinating to know, uh, especially from the guests, like just their immediate reaction, like what is latching on to them uh, yeah. in terms of like, because it doesn't even have to pertain to Hitchcock. It pertains to your personal taste. And yeah. And it's very clear, having known you as long as I do, that this would be your favorite Hitchcock movie because <laughs> it is it is the most it's it's the most fun, adventurous of, of all of them. Yeah. And I also tend to uh, I, I like to go against the grain. <laughs> uh, oh, you're contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just it, it's just in the like the nature of the, the how I was raised and like we Willixes uh, consider ourselves uh, stubborn and we like it. <laughs> uh, so when people you know are like eh, I didn't like to catch thief, then I'm like, well, you're just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not what I what I actually think. But it's like, well, I didn't like Halloween three season of the witch. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and that's my favorite Halloween. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I do. I think it's because of knowing you that I've learned to love that movie as much as I have. Because I remember, I remember when around the time where we first met, I mentioned like I don't like Halloween three because it doesn't yeah. have Michael Myers, and you're just like, watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like uh, the critics did not enjoy To Catch a Thief because yeah. it was not as heavy. Well, I, I it just wasn't a heavy suspense, no thriller. Yeah, I mean, like we, his previous movies, like they, they this was coming off of Rear Window. Yeah, and which, which is, in a way, the ultimate Hitchcock movie in terms yeah. of his technique and his sensibility. Yeah, and so you have, it's it's a diversion to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I, I I normally do the reviews at the end, but I do want to touch on that really quickly oh, okay. because uh, I like quoting Bosley Crowther. He's my favorite guy to hate. He wrote he wrote for the New York Times though, and he wrote uh, in a positive review. He was one of the positive ones. He comes off completely as a hit in the old Hitchcock style. That's interesting because yeah. the style is there, mm -hmm. but you wouldn't know it at first it's, glance. It's toned down. Yeah, yeah. It's very much taken down a couple notches. Mm -hmm. There's no you know mentions of corpses in the basement right. or a murder across the street. There's mm -hmm. really no death in this movie beyond the one death. Which might have been accidental. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's not. There's no like. True... Well, no. Somebody. There was a wrench. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And okay. even though, like, it, what's funny though, it, it is shot with macabre images in mind, but they're mm -hmm. so light on yeah. uh, impact. Mm -hmm. um, and we we'll get into it when we get into the plot. But we'll jump a little bit into the production history of To Catch a Thief. Um, this is coming off of Rear Window. John Michael Hayes was the writer of Rear Window. Uh, Hitchcock liked working with him, uh, and uh, John Michael Hayes was hired to write To Catch a Thief, um, and it's based off of a, of a novel by David Dodge. And the 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 basic thing was that Hitchcock was looking to get Grant out of retirement, right? And he had an an intriguing offer for That's Mr. Right. Cary Grant. And we talked a little bit about it in the um, uh, the first episode of the show, but uh, Cary Grant, for a recap, Cary Grant's kind of like retiring. He's kind of done with Hollywood. He's really... He didn't like the treatment of uh, 
Wasn't he was really upset about the treatment of, of Charlie Chaplin from the industry? Or uh, that that's one angle on. But I think the bigger one. Ryan brought this up is that he was very very tired of just the way like he was being treated as an independent, and he felt like getting out. He had had other business and he had he had other business interests outside of Hollywood. Mm. Um, so, but Cary Grant was lured out of this with the prospect by Mr. Hitchcock. Like, what if I took you out to France? And yeah. what if I put you somewhere with Grace Kelly? Yeah. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much, he said, it's going to be shot in the French Riviera. We're going to the French Riviera to shoot, and Grace Kelly's in it. And, yeah. And it's and so uh, immediately we've got Cary Grant back on board. And obviously Grant, you know, Cary Grant as an actor, he goes on to do more things uh, beyond this point. But there is a there's a period where he's kind of just like, eh, I'm just done right yeah. now. And then he kind of comes out of it. But then... He goes along. North by Northwest is the last one he does with Hitch, and then uh, not not too long after that, he leaves entirely. Yeah. Um. And so, we, we at this point, the Grant persona is very, very established. Yeah. It's very, very established. Um. Amongst the things that are talked about in the first episode, and that we're going to elaborate on today, is that the formula with Cary Grant has always been that women pursue him; he is not pursuing women. Uh, there's, he's there's, uninterested. Yes, exactly, yeah. and yeah. that and that thus makes him more uh, attainable or, or ap- appealing to obtain. Yeah, um, and so there's only a few times where that formula is truly, truly flipped, um, and this all kind of stems from the moment where we first saw him in the Awful Truth, where he is showing off that personality, and mm-hmm. then it extends and grows beyond its reach. So, at this point. It's already clear that if you put Cary Grant in a movie, there's an audience coming. Right. And Grace Kelly is coming off of Rear Window. She is a big star at this point. So working with Hitch again, this would be the final time she would work with Hitch That's before right. she would become a princess. <laughs> and and uh, I think she met um, Prince, what's his name? Prince Rainier. Yeah. While she was shooting this movie. Yeah. Um, and they started a... Uh, like a pen pal relationship. Yep, and then the, and yeah, and then they grew to know each other. And a then, correspondence. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah, you could say we it was have a, to we have to stick with fancy terms for this yeah, episode. You could say it was a foreign correspondence. A foreign correspondence. Ah. <laughs> Hitch, oh, Hitchcock sits in the back now and goes, "Ha! Ah! <laughs> That's a movie I did. Did you see what they did, Alma? That uh, oh, these boys are delightful. Keep going, keep going with those puns. Um, so we'll we'll jump a little bit into some. Uh, basic info. So directed by Ha and um, <laughs> Old uh, Hitchy. Scream, old Hitchy. Old Hitchy oh, himself. God. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You don't call me Alfred, and you don't call me Hitchy. <laughs> Find the middle ground. <laughs> um, so uh, stars Grace Kelly, Cary Grant, Jesse Royce Landis, John Williams, Charles Vanell, and Brigitte Ober. Um, uh, with music by Lynn Murray, cinematography by Robert Burks, edited by George Tomasini, costumes by Edith Head, with the exception of Bernard Herrmann, who wouldn't be in the Hitchcock canon until the next movie, which is Trouble with Harry. Right. The full team is assembled. And, of course, you have Alma Revel coming in and supervising a lot of different elements and uh, steering the ship the way she does as Alma Revel, the, the wife of Alfred Hitchcock, but the creative with Alfred Hitchcock right. as well. Um, and... This is actually a good primer to talk about Alma's involvement. And, uh, you know, she she involved herself in the formations of how the story can be told and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can watch this on the uh, – we, we spent some time watching the fe- behind-the-scenes featurettes to get a little bit more in-depth into this. Yeah. And, you know, what we found out with the Alma information, amongst other things, is the scene 
that uh, involves Cary Grant and Grace Kelly driving around the French Riviera when it's revealed that she knows who he is. Yeah. Um, that scene was originally just one log dialogue scene, and Alma insisted that John Michael Hayes break it up so that some of it's in the car, some of it's outside. Yeah, They so they, they like go to a villa, they'd have some of it there, they have some in the car, they have some in the picnic scene. Yeah. yeah. And so that's an example of how somebody like Alma Rebel... And, 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 that would, that, and that's a... I mean, that's an in, uh, interesting a way to draw out suspense for Cary Grant's character. It's like, you know, he's on this, he didn't want to go on this long afternoon with her, you know no. what I mean? Having to keep up this facade. I'm trying to solve a, a mystery. Right. And you're right. Distracting me and, with your beauty. And, but I mean, and it's just like, it's just uncomfortable for him. I mean, yeah, we've all been in that situation where it's like, I have to go do something I don't want to do. Yeah. And I'm going to be there for hours. Yeah. And on know? top of that, I've got people trailing me in the back. Exactly. So yeah. you, you've got layer upon layer and she knew how to break it up. The action. She, Alma Revel, uh, was a trained editor uh, during the uh, during the early British period when Hitchcock met her, and she always had a hand in the editing as well. And George Tomasini, uh, the main editor on the film, but more than likely, you know, if you if you kind of go deeper, it's obvious that she had a hand in kind of helping construct certain yeah. things in the post process as well, because that would be her niche. Yeah. But she would help mainly in story construction. She was a noted writer as well. So this script is uh, formed, and it, it was the first. Uh, of the five films that Hitchcock would make in this division, this division, we talk a little bit about it with Vertigo, but let's go a little bit further into it. This is the answer from Paramount to CinemaScope, Cinemascope. which is being developed by the other companies. Yep. And so this division, uh, in a clever way, finds a way to uh, uh, flip. the. So the normal strip of film, the 35 millimeter film, um, goes down... Uh, uh, vertically, vertically, and uh, but what they did is flip the frame of the thirty-five image for each slot onto its side, onto its side horizontally. So it essentially saves um, uh, you having to create a bigger film print for something like CinemaScope, which would later become IMAX. Right. So basically, you can make a seventy mil. It, this is their version of seventy millimeter. We could be showing this film on IMAX theaters today. Yeah, we could. We're not going to. No one's going to. No. I mean, but uh, but it's fine. I, I have no problem watching Rise of Skywalker again in that <laughs> format. And and also, they're not going to break out an old projector. I mean, th right. times have changed, which, right. which it sucks. Um, <laughs> I did see Raiders of the Lost Ark in the 70-millimeter print when they did show it. Um, oh, really? But, yeah, but it, 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 it's weird because they were showing it on the smaller screens of the region. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's the way they unfortunately showed The Hateful Eight as well. But they picked a big enough auditorium that I just sat in the front rows and I got the effect. Oh, okay. So, well, that's nice. Yeah, it could have been better. But that, that happened when I went to go see Hatefully too. It was like, yeah, it was in, I was like, this is not a big a screen as I thought. Yeah, it's almost as if it should be see. an RPX. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember the last time we were in RPX, we were watching a a, a little uh, prequel film that was very notorious <laughs> and in 3D. <laughs> um, so um, Hitchcock, this he starts with the Vista Vision process. This will be perfected with him visually down the line with stuff, amongst other things like Vertigo, which is considered the masterpiece. And mm -hmm. you can't think of that uh, film without that process because of how much scope is brought to, you know, Jimmy Stewart running running around and being gaslit and going like, I, I don't know nothing. <laughs> but you're telling me, and I guess it makes sense. And so we'll go ahead and jump into the plot a little bit. Uh, and, and from there, we're going to talk a little bit about the creativity behind this film, because in spite of this film, not being a strictly Hitchcockian film, 
Which is, a weird, which is a weird thing to say because he made the film. Yeah. But people say that all like all the time. Yeah. Well, and, it's and I think it's mainly just like those tropes and whatnot. No, I understand. Yeah, like yeah. he and I'm and, and, and I I think it's weird. I think it's funny when people don't like when directors uh, just want to try something different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, Martin Scorsese went through that in the '90s, and like, right. there's there are Martin Scorsese films out there that are not Martin Scorsese movies by the traditional standard. Right. And some people tra- uh, label he, he would argue with you. Yeah, well, about that. Why, of course I would. Why, why, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? <laughs> Getting angry about this. I had to fight with Marvel and now I have to fight with you. <laughs> um, but no, like a movie like Condon is not what you think of when you think of Scorsese. And yet no. if you look at the visual scheme of it, of course it is. No, I I yeah. yeah. No, I understand I understand what you're saying. I yeah. just I just it's it's funny when people who are not the auteur yeah. are like he's betraying himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why would he do this piece of trash? And he's just like shut up. And it's just like <laughs> just let him do his thing. Yeah. And in the case of, you know, uh, to catch a thief, you know, you were talking about it a little bit about this. You want to shine some light is that like, you know, he got a chance for he, well he had bought the rights to the like shortly after the book came out he bought the rights yeah. to the book and he also just wanted to take a vacation to the French Riviera which is how Adam Sandler makes movies yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah or, or even Vince Vaughn and yeah, his yeah. friend uh, the guy who Peter Billingsley yeah mm-hmm. the, the and couples were and I think he also wanted to pull it, it's just a movie he wanted to make he liked the story and I think he wanted to pull Cary Grant out of retirement because. Yeah. He's a great fucking actor. And he liked working with him. Mm-hmm. It's very noted that he liked working with him. There are other projects he wanted him to be a part of. He yeah. wanted him to be in Rope. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that couldn't be arranged. So instead, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> let me give that, let me, let me help you understand something. I'm not locked in here with these two boys. These two boys are locked in here with me. <laughs> Who watches the Watchmen? <laughs> I love making... Oh, make, wow. I love making Jimmy Stewart say ridiculous shit oh on this gosh. show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That'd be an interesting experience, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jimmy Somebody, Stewart is Rorschach. What are you waiting for? Do it! <laughs> Do it! <laughs> Tell oh me, Doc, God. what do you say? You, you, you want the moon, Spectre? <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is Rorschach. <laughs> Somebody oh, ought to come and wipe out the scum in this city. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, um. But no, to catch a thief. Yeah, and then and also there's just like it's a project that entails him. So he does his particular. Uh, pre-production work. Yeah, they scouted the French Riviera mm-hmm. and they shot partially on location and partially in the studio. Yeah, and Hitchcock notoriously would prefer to not be outside. I really don't <laughs> like it. He, I think he's quoted as saying he hates blue skies. Yeah. <laughs> So it wouldn't surprise so, me. If so I'm sure he just just didn't like being outside. Yeah. Well, I think the the big thing would be is that like, and we've experienced this when we've we've tried to make a film. Yeah. When uh when you're dealing with elements outside, you have no control over them. Right. Weather is a big issue. Yeah. Lighting out exterior lighting is a big issue. Sound. Whenever yes, sound. Yeah. Oh God. So <laughs> when uh so whenever you can shoot in the studio, you have more control and. At the time, uh, it's 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 important to point out for people who are not familiar with this in the age of what we have with CGI and stuff. The studios, obviously, they don't have a computer. 
they're building sets constantly right. of massive scale that would later just get like knocked down in favor of another one. Some mm-hmm. are some are kept intact. Some are reused. Yeah, yeah, like in MGM, the um on the lot of MGM, they still had the sets from the Burning of Atlanta, uh, yeah. amongst other sets and, and props, obviously from Wizard of Oz. But they would construct these elaborate sets. Paramount was no different. Mm-hmm. They had many sound stages where they would construct, amongst other things, many of the interiors for this yeah. film. The exception being, uh, really, the Carlton, the Ritz Carlton Hotel, which is also where some of the crew was uh, holed up in. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, but the exteriors of this film are fantastic, and that's a big credit to Robert Burks and his collaboration with Hitchcock. This would be the first of many that he would do with Hitchcock. Yeah. Um. In fact, Burks would create. The, the the what is considered the masterpiece, which is Vertigo, and the visuals of that film are a testament to his ability, Hitchcock's imagination, and Saul Bass's design. Um, so let's jump into the plot uh, here. Finally, um, <laughs> we open up uh, to catch a thief with uh, heists are afoot. <laughs> well, the the opening, like the the title screen, it's supposed to be a travel agency front window in New York City. Yeah, no one would ever know that. Unless they like read up on that, because yeah. I didn't even know that till like last night. Well, we had, I mean, I mean, travel agencies are not really a thing that like exist much anymore by comparison to what they did. They're today. not, yeah, they're not as big as what they used to be. Yeah, that's I for mean, sure. I remember going into one when I was a kid for a, Uni- yeah. a United Hub. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we start there. And uh, coming off the reflective glass, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, ha, me. And then <laughs> uh, we're kind of moving along, and there's a scream. There's a scream. Things have been stolen. And we're seeing a series of robberies happen, and they're alluded to by the presence of a black cat uh, climbing on the roofs and walking yeah, and across then, the And roofs. then we see close-ups on leather-gloved hands mm-hmm. uh, uh, carefully pulling jewels out of out of their cases exactly if yeah. you if you need a modern day reference for it watch the simpsons episode season five where the cat burglar strikes <laughs> out in springfield right it's very much the same thing <laughs> until it decides it's not at the very end um so we we have and within the visual scheme of that this is a, a starting point on um robert burke's work on the film but also the a, a, a credit to the set designers of this film yeah so the cats are coming. The cat comes across the roof. It's a black cat. We're starting on a green filter. So whenever these robberies take place, we have a green hue. That yeah, at night. Yeah, there's a green filter over the night scene. And the, and you know, it, I mean, we've talked a lot about um, uh, uh, the the way Hitchcock meticulously plans out things. He's good at color coding. Whenever he yeah. has a film in color, he knows how to color code. And Within this case, it's not only representing robbery; it can represent the the money or the 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 riches that can be involved. Right, um, and it's a consistent look throughout the film. He also doesn't like blue. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> don't like it. No, no. And I, it, yeah, the and the 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 cries for help we hear are in English, mm-hmm. and I think the there there is a big emphasis on the rich American mm-hmm. tourist yeah. in Europe. I think one of the voices is French, mm-hmm. but the first couple are in English. And I, yeah. I think I'd mentioned to you, I think it's funny how American tourists are <laughs> uh, picked on yeah. in this movie. Yes, they are very much picked on in this movie. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, what's weird is watching it from a modern, modern perspective is just kind of like, I mean, yeah, we, we kind of <laughs> – we, we aren't really paying attention. <laughs> right, right. And that's how shit happens. <laughs> I mean, Hostel is about that, yeah, <laughs> to a different degree. Well, and and it's also like they're like how they're portrayed a little differently in this movie because like when 
usually when I if I think of someone's opinion of an American tourist, you know, we're loud and rude. Yeah, you know what I mean. Or like, <laughs> what's what's the character in um, the Bond film? The like the sheriff from the South or what? Oh, in um, he in has which, really thick. In which Bond southern, film? It's, it's in. He's in Live and Let Die. Oh, uh, I'm uh, not a I'm not a Roger Moore guy. So you may have to describe this. For I'm me. not a Roger Moore guy either. <laughs> oh god, nobody. Um, ro- nobody's a Roger Moore. But guy. he's in a couple of the movies. He's in Live and Let Die when they're actually in the South, and he's in another one where he's a tourist in some European. Yeah. But he's accentuated as like the annoying tourist. But it's like, it's over the top southern accent, yeah. you know, redneck guy. I mean, and it, I was like, is that like maybe that's more true to what American tourists are today? Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, <laughs> well, I mean, if you look, if you, it's not my favorite vacation movie, but European Vacation, yeah, <laughs> kind of hits on that <laughs> to a certain yeah. extent. This idea of like, well, we're going back to our European roots, but also we're very, very dumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we're the Griswolds, of course we are. Um, so yeah, I mean, he plays around with that and it's interesting to note that, you know, this comes in the fifties, you know, you're just, you're, you're coming back to an area that was at one, at not, not more than 10 years ago, war torn and disheveled yeah. and dismantled essentially. And I think the movie is taking place right after world war two. Yeah. Like not shortly after not, at the very like least. Like maybe five years but, or so. Yeah. Roughly around there, yeah. which would, which would be more in line with the way the book's constructed. Right. Like, mm-hmm. cause it would, when it comes out in 51. So we're we're dealing with you know it's the idea of these americans like whether it's just american tourism that helps boost that economy or if it's also soldiers returning back from the, to the scene of to the scene of where they were cuz they liked they liked where they were yeah stationed yeah exactly yeah. they mm-hmm. enjoyed france they enjoyed yeah. many france's luxuries it's food and it's women and it's wine it also women. like <laughs> that yeah that and that's why like american tiki bars got popular yeah in the, in the 50s yeah because they wanted to be taken back to those exotic locales and we need to be sure to remember to mention tiki bars at the end of this show oh. <laughs> um, but uh yeah you're right actually and then that's why and actually it, it lends itself to a little bit of what it would end up being the disneyland effect of just like you know like the um uh, the uh, the Epcot Center does this a little bit more um, bluntly, but like the Tiki Room at yeah. Disneyland is something like that. It's just taking different cultures and kind of sticking in like a virtual reality simulation mm-hmm. of like what these environments might be like. Yeah. Except the birds talk. Right. Which I mean, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we uh we've got these series of the thefts. We don't know exactly what's going on. Um. But we are led to a big house on a hill. With a with uh, which looks like it could be out of an Ennio uh, or of a Sergio Leone movie, <laughs> but it is very like nicely furnished. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and inside this house, we see a, a black cat. Is mm-hmm. it the same black cat from earlier? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know about a jewel thief that is retired named John Roby. Yeah. It is explained to us via an insert of the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Begin the onslaught of double entendres. Yes, right now. <laughs> oh God, this movie's full of them. There's, there's, there's just, there's a lot of imagery, a phallic imagery afoot. Yeah, and sexual imagery afoot. Yeah, primarily because what's interesting is this is a movie about a heist, and yet the MacGuffin of this film is who is behind the thievery. Right. It's not important to the story. What's important is that. <laughs> Cary Grant's heart is about to get stolen, but we'll get to that soon. Um, we meet John Roby, um, looking very fine in a sweater and a nice red scarf. I, I think it's funny he wears a lot of scarves or ascots throughout the movie, almost like they're 
cat collars. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, which is just the first like visual yeah. joke. Yeah. Through you know, through the movie. He's playing with cat with the cat imagery. Like he's really leaning into that symbology. But it's not as strong as Catwoman in Batman Returns. No. I mean, well, <laughs> you know, well, like I said this to you earlier today and I'll say it again. Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. <laughs> right. But a kiss can be yeah. deadlier when if you, you mean when it. When you said that, I was like, yeah, Tim Burton like went way overboard <laughs> with the cat stuff, you know what I mean? And this one it's it's still in your face, but it's just not as You know my favorite it's one, not right? As strong. <laughs> when no. she fl- when she's doing her backflips towards Batman and the Penguin and goes meow. meow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so we meet him and uh, he's kind of leisurely kicking back. He's just like, I'm retired. Nobody gives a shit what I do. <laughs> like, I am living off of the riches that I once <laughs> yeah, stole. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 work a, I work a vineyard, that's true, but I'm really just lazy. <laughs> I don't care anymore. And then we hear the screech of the police car. Yes, and suddenly and, we realize... And he sees it coming up the hill. Yes, and yeah. this whole sequence is shot in the pure cinema effect. We learn about John Roby without hearing a word from his mouth. We, with yeah, the, we, with we the see newspaper. the newspaper. Um, and we also kind of learn how he moves and how he walks around. Mm-hmm. So we know he's a burglar without having to say, or or was a burglar without yeah. having to have him say hi i'm a burglar <laughs> well and, you know having a black cat is just a giant advertisement yeah you know He's in itself stick, just... stick that cat in, there, yeah, in yeah. the frame and we're good to go it's <laughs> this is sim it's 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 i'm alluding to shit yeah i'm a yeah. genius Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> um so the police question him and he's just like, well, do you mind if I change? Because uh, this is not necessarily comfortable. And he does that gif that we all love yeah, to yeah. use so much. He goes back inside and uh, uh, basically he was playing with a gun earlier in the scene and puts it on top of his Mickey Mouse chair, um, which right. it, 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 you were, when you pointed it out, I was like, this is a Mickey Mouse chair <laughs> of big <laughs> proportion. Those ears are big. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he... Uh, the, he goes out, uh, goes in his room to change, and then suddenly we hear a gunshot. We think, "Oh no, John Roby has killed himself." Except he hasn't, because he's Cary Grant. Yeah, and he escapes, and uh, the police start chasing him. Well, then, then the, the the police burst in the room. Yeah, and they see that he's not there, and then they hear John Roby's car screech out of the driveway. And it's important to hear that, to note that he we hear his car. Yeah, we don't hear him. Yeah, we don't car. we don't see who's in the car. Yes, so the 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 police. Uh, take off after the yeah. after the car, and, and it's a and it's a red car, so you can't yeah. identify it from these distance from this distance that we see these helicopter shots, yeah. especially. And, then, and we see him on the the roof of his own house. Yeah, yeah. And then so we are led on a merry chase. Um, and what's interesting, it it, how, it, it mentions it in the behind the scenes featurettes, and it's also noted in production notes. Helicopter shots were not commonplace back in the back in the period. Right, there's no specific rig that they would have for them. Um, so, as was discussed on these featurettes, and as you had brought up to me earlier today, they're they're tying that camera down. Yeah, they them. just they just they took a door off the helicopter, and they they secured the camera with like ropes and and cables and wires and, <laughs> and they said it was i guess it was a little scary at times for the pilot and the cameraman so. i'd have to imagine because you're yeah. like it, it's it's that t- that's triple fold of just like i gotta worry about myself this yeah. equipment and this helicopter right yeah um but the results for it are smoother than you'd expect for yeah. among the first timers and mm-hmm. th- these are sh- these are processes that get later perfected in stuff like stanley kramer's mm-hmm. to- it's a mad 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 world so these are we're already kind of setting the scene of things to come hitchcock is innovating once again yeah. in the process huh. 
<laughs> and so um so we get these this merry chase and uh what's great with the color coding again Roby's car is red we got the police car so we know mm-hmm. where the chase is happening yeah um we get these nice exteriors of of uh the can area and um the the we finally close in closer the cops have uh apprehended the car but it's the maid it's the maid it's the maid he's nowhere in there oh now is when we see him on the roof yes right? exactly he comes okay. out the roof and yeah. then he uh we see him looking. nice little reveal to the audience yeah and yeah. then we have him looking out the gate and he's going like huh, idiots and then, <laughs> and, and then he and then he uh walks up and takes the bus and we get our hitchcock cameo mm-hmm. and uh and we have another little cat joke the birds yes, are freaking out the birds are freaking out next to him and uh uh, and then it pans over to Hitchcock, and Hitchcock says, I'll make a movie about those things later. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> I'm Alfred Hitchcock. I'm a genius. <laughs> so uh, so Roby goes to uh, uh, the restaurant that is owned by some of his old war buddies. Um, part of why he has not been in any mischief up till this point is because he fought with the resistance fighters in France in order to gain a pardon from his previous crimes. That's right. Um, so he meets the old uh, one of his old resistance buddies, and uh, the people who work in the kitchen who are also his buddies are not happy with him because they know that these thefts are being tied to them and him. Right. So everybody's suspecting that it's one of the many Roby gang yeah. associates. Uh, Bertani is the name of the the guy who owns the the restaurant. Yes. Um, um, and we should um, Bertani, uh, played by Charles Vanell, doesn't speak a word of English, or very very badly. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> he was redubbed uh, and reshot yeah. a lot in order and the, to accommodate. And, and there were parts when his mouth is obscured. Yeah, from um, from talking. There was even one scene where they just stuck in a line, and the and his his lips aren't moving at all. Yeah, <laughs> they just they just stuck it in there. He says like, oh, he, he's magic. He can he just <laughs> yeah. He's so good at English, he can say it without opening his mouth. <laughs> and, and so he yeah, so he's here to try to. Uh, we're trying to figure out, like, are any of you actually behind this? Right, and he's also uh, uh, Cary Grant's, like, um, uh, telling everyone he's he's innocent. He yes. didn't do it. And no one believes him. No, nobody believes him. In fact, it it it, it upsets one rather large man very much. One rather, rather large French man. He's like enough. <laughs> French strong man. Yes, yeah. and uh, uh, John Roby distracts him by throwing a wine bottle, and he drops a plate in the process. Right. And it's like oh. <laughs> Oh, adorable. He's so clever. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> Roby gets away. He knocks a glass off a shelf yep. like a cat. Yes. <laughs> look, look, look what I'm doing. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. You know how a cat knocks shit off with its paw like it's a fucking asshole? <laughs> Can you be a fucking asshole for me? <laughs> Just paw it off. Paw it off. Right? <laughs> so he gets out of there. He's uh, smuggled out. We um, see we see Fusan, who yeah. is the wine steward. Yes, uh, and he has a, a wooden leg and a limp. Yep. and a white streak in his hair. And, and I he... commented, if there was ever a Bond henchman in this film, <laughs> it's him because <laughs> he, he is the most identifying uh, marks. <laughs> well, it's my sworn nemesis, Nippy <laughs> McGee. <laughs> <laughs> What what do you want, peg leg? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. over, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so Fusa takes uh the guy with the limp takes yep. uh Cary Grant to uh his daughter. Danielle, his daughter. Yes. And I I just kinda noticed this 
that there she and Cary Grant are wearing a similar top. Yeah, so it's a style. It's not the color, but it's, it's not the, the color, style. but it's a style. And I thought that was very interesting. It's very much like I mean, we were as we were going through. I kind of thought more about it because you, I had never noticed that until you brought yeah. it up. And my my assumption is is that we learn that Danielle learned a lot from Roby. Yeah. So she looks up to him mm-hmm. and uh, has a, has even a crush on him. She's also wearing red. And yeah. she, she makes her intentions with him known. Like, yeah. Like right off the bat. Let's go to Let's South America. Let's get married, <laughs> go to South America and have lots of fun times. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To which Hitchcock said, we can't afford South America. <laughs> Why do I have to keep telling you that? <laughs> look, look, Brigitte, No. Stay here, <laughs> but, she, but she thinks no. she thinks he he is the he thinks she she thinks he's the cat burglar. The cat as well. Now, as we'll learn, you know, she's kind of she's playing her own little game, right? Um, but you, it's interesting. Like she would look up to him to the point where she would match an attire of that, even if the right. color's different. It's the mm-hmm. attire similar. Yeah. So they go on a boat, and we get to get a good old Hitchcock process shot of them on a boat, and uh, we go through Roby's history and his motivations a little bit from. The perspective of a thief, and I like I like a lot of the dialogue scenes in this movie, and this is, I think they're all very smartly written, and I th- this is one of, I think this is the first first one where I was like oh they're, they're just they're back and forth it's just like you know well and it's a testament to Michael Hayes' script yeah I mean, just very good banter yeah back and forth there's a, there's a it's interesting to go from Hitchcock film to Hitchcock film and see. Which ones are stronger in the writing and which ones are stronger in the directing? Right. Like, I think this could be honestly said, like, we both love Psycho, but the dialogue in Psycho is not as strong as the dialogue in, say, To Catch a Thief or even Rear Window. Right. Um, But the dialogue is certainly different, like, to different ends. I was going to say that I think the dialogue has a different purpose in Psycho than than uh, it does in this movie. And I guess a more prime example to compare it with would be rear window which would be by the same screenwriter right he uses the same stuff in rear window mm-hmm. it's just that rear window is toward the macabre bend yeah this is what happens when you dial him back to a lighter tone mm-hmm. but he is able to throw out that banter and whatnot and you know we as we, as we were learning you know carrie grant would want to make suggestions and hitchcock would say no yeah and then he said okay fine go through john and then he'd tell john <laughs> I, just stall him <laughs> i also read a thing where john wanted to make certain changes with the script and he actually went to carrie grant and grace kelly first mm-hmm. to get them on his side yeah and um i think something came up later when um like articles were being written in the papers about yeah. this movie and cause Alfred Hitchcock did not like, uh, sharing credit. So he didn't like when, uh, John was mentioned in the article as yeah. the writer. Um, and I think he was banned from, um, press press. Yeah. Yeah. It would, um, it, it would make sense if he was holding on to that author- authority control of the situation. Yeah. Um, and it's known that he, you know, we talk about there. There's positives and negatives to Hitchcock's Hitchcock's control of the people around him. Yeah. Obviously, the negatives are very known and have been discussed <laughs> and will be continued to be discussed. The positives are that when his vision is seen through in cases like To Catch a Thief, right, they do end up proving to be the correct ones, right. And in the case of just like. You know, there's a moment where Grant is trying to get Hitchcock to do something his way, and he gets he he basically tells the crew like, you know, like my shit better than his shit. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, well, I guess you won, old boy. <laughs> <laughs> just like, ha. 
<laughs> I did that in some Yeah, he had he had the crew so they shot something. I, they didn't say what it was, yeah, but they, they shot something two ways. Uh, uh Hitchcock's way and Cary Grant had this idea for it and they shot it his way. Mm-hmm. And they shot Cary Grant's first and then they shot Hitchcock's and Hitchcock he told the crew beforehand applaud after mine. Yeah. So and that didn't tell him why he's just like, just applaud why. just applaud just yeah. applaud make it make it fun for yourself <laughs> right yeah get your hands warmed up <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of as like I don't know like as like I've directed a couple things myself and I I was well I was open to collaboration from my actors right um, does that say I maybe I don't know <laughs> maybe I didn't have a clear vision maybe we're, we're but, like you got to whip them <laughs> you got to whip them good that is what I've always tried to tell people. well I mean mm-hmm. didn't Hitchcock like treat think, uh, oh, think he, actors were like cattle he said that uh, he he said they he didn't say they were like cattle he said they should be treated treated like cattle, like cattle. yes okay. uh, it's always good when people get it wrong because I could be like yeah. ah ha 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 no, yeah. wait a minute but uh, no it's it's true that like and you know and I've directed too and I I've I've gone through a different approach where I'm just like I I I tend to rely on the people around me a lot more yeah. than I would have say when I was much younger because yeah. like I can't pretend to know everything. Hitchcock comes from a school where he learned from the ground up. He started with in production design and yeah. title design in the silent yeah. era. So he's he's so well aware of what makes an efficient machine run mm-hmm. that he possesses the control over the project yeah and he at this point has earned the right to call that shot technically no i mean if you're a director you i mean you have your style you well i mean and you have the right to just say i'm gonna do things my way yeah you know you know go up a river you know what i mean but exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> and that's why my and films I, were fine right exactly exactly <laughs> i'm not alfred hitchcock i'm not a genius yeah <laughs> well like my my prequels were just fine <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that was mean um but uh so we we get to um uh the, the we go we the beach club the, we get to the beach club um, we get some uh, shirtless Cary Grant for the ladies. I, I read a little story about this little scene with his uh, uh, swimming trunks. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he was more difficult to work with. Uh, Edith had said he was more difficult to work with than Hitchcock. Yeah. He's very particular about uh, his image. His image and yeah. what he was going to wear. Yes. Um, and um, and he also wanted it to be comfortable mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And it's, well, and that dives into <clears throat> the Grant persona a little bit, which yeah. is. You know, and and Ryan Ryan talks about this a lot too. But you and I are both aware of this as well. Yeah, there is an image of Cary Grant that is known throughout cinema history. It's a very consistent image. Rarely is it diverted. Right. Rarely do you see it diverted. Um, what's actually interesting, if you, um, I'll do a little plug for Ryan on this. If you go to realnerdspodcast dot com, you will see a definitive ranking of, from his point of view, the top Cary Grant films. Um, and in each one, he discusses a little bit about Grant's performance and how it can differ or how it stays consistent. Yeah. And there are very few times where that persona changes, and naturally that comes with an image. So that image, like, it is a suave, debonair look to it. So he is going to be picky with it. Absolutely. And it's interesting considering that Edith Head, she's generally answering to only one man, which is me. <laughs> so, you know, like, so Hitchcock is the man in charge in that situation. And, yeah. We'll, we'll jump into Edith Head a little bit on this because it's, you know, Edith Head is a is a costume designer for the ages. I mean, we based a Pixar character after, her. right? <laughs> um, but um, she 
she's won more Oscars for this for this specific skill than anybody with a record of eight between 1949 and 1973. Um, amongst the things that she is famous for within the Hitchcock canon is Vertigo doesn't look like Vertigo without Edith Head. Right. It is hands down a film that is solely uh, – it happens because of the design involved. Like Kim Novak is dressed the way she's dressed, uh, partially because of Hitchcock's right. um, de- like designs, and, and and he was a des- he could he's an illustrator, so he could design those mm-hmm. things. But Edith has to construct that and make that practical for the actor involved. Right, and she also has a say within the color scheme of everything. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me that. This was apparently her favorite film to work on. Yeah, she said this was her favorite film to work on. I mean, especially, like, the last scene is just everyone in, um, I don't know what century it is, but they're all in... Uh, like, that kind of, like, French, the the the, uh, the French aristocracy. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the more colorful part of History of the World Part 1, where Mel Brooks is running around and <laughs> uh, kissing people randomly. Right, it's like... Uh, uh, um, uh, 17th, century. 17th century attire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I and I do remember in that scene somebody said it's good to be the king. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> uh, I have the quote here uh, from Edith Head about what it was like to work on oh, okay. the costume design. Of all the pi- of all the pictures I worked on, darling, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. That's disrespectful to her. Of all the pictures I've ever worked on, To Catch a Thief is my favorite, and it was so difficult. From Grace Kelly's piece de resistance gold ball gown to shopping for bathing trunks that would please Cary Grant, who was even more difficult than Hitch was to please. Uh, Cary knew exactly what he, how he wanted to look, but he also wanted to be comfortable. He didn't want a tight elastic distracting him. He selected most of the clothes for his films. Grace was much easier to work with, but I never had a free moment to, to see the cotizar. Uh, this was not a regular routine, but I was in the costume designer's heaven. Can you imagine Grace Kelly playing one of the richest women in America so she can afford the most elegant clothes and most fabulous jewels. Then a fancy costume ball with hundreds of extras dressed as if they were in Marie Antoinette's court. Hitch told me to dress Grace like a princess, and I did. Of course, I had no idea I'd be dressing a real princess. An actual to be. princess. <laughs> <laughs> and then Hitchcock's in the back. Ha! <laughs> Alma, did you hear that? Oh, these these two idiots are delightful. <laughs> so yeah, like so we she she has. It's actually what she says about working on this film is essential to understanding this film. Yeah. This film is about extravagance. Yeah, it's it about is, it's it's about class, it's about elegance. Yeah, and it's and it's but it's not it's not it's weird like it, we, now we as we're recording this, we're going through a weird class divide. Um yeah. not weird, it's essential. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh the uh the, the class division um of this like now back in the 30s and 40s and 50s watching rich people run around and do their thing could be fun for people if yeah. you did it correctly and didn't rub their elegance in your face right. meanly. Right. And to catch a thief falls in the line of something like um, an awful truth or my man Godfrey, where like it, it's rich people, but they're screwing around and being weird. Right. You know. So the 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 amount of extravagance that she's able to go in with these costumes and what's more to be as detailed with them as she can be right. is a testament to just like look, this is just an escapist fair picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny we you know we. Uh, 
uh, we talked a little bit when we were watching the movie. I was mentioning a lot about like the Ocean's Eleven movies, and you know, Ocean's Twelve gets a lot of flack. I don't think it deserves it. Right. Um, but that movie is very much trying to operate in the mode of To Catch a Thief. Mm-hmm. It is doing a European travel log. Uh, like you know, big movie stars, escapist entertainment, uh, worlds unknown, yeah. or just like exotic locations, and this <clears throat> film is like the template for that. I mm-hmm. mean, what's what's a film that we think of as Hitchcock that isn't Hitchcock? It's Charade, <laughs> and Char- oh yeah, yeah, and, and this film mm-hmm. is very much something that Charade utilizes to its advantage in terms yeah. of its charm and its uh, flight of fancy. Um, so. We keep going. He uh, he's on the beach. He uh, uh, is being trailed. He's being trailed by somebody. He's being looked by, at, by, being watched. Yeah, by um, uh, who I called um, you know the shortest beach bully ever. <laughs> we also see Grace Kelly the first time in this yeah. scene, but we don't. You don't necessarily catch on that it's her. No, you just there's a clo- there's a close up on her, and she just is watching yeah. him because he just came out of the water. Because he's Cary Grant. Yeah. And he just came out of the water. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but as a character, he's just it's intrigue. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I think I know who this person is. Yeah. And well, does she know? But she's, she's in like a big hat and sunglasses. You yeah. don't really see... That's her. You could pick her out if you if you knew her, but yeah, you could be like, "Hey, isn't that a princess?" (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to miss at the same time. Yeah, so she's she's one of many people. She could be one of the many people that you know are watching him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like when Senator Kelly comes out of the water in X Men, everybody's looking. But Stan Lee, you don't obviously pick him out right away. (laughs) Um, But so he uh, he then goes to a. Uh, a, a flower market in the middle of a square. He, he gets a phone call from the restaurant. Uh, yeah, yes, that's right? true. Yeah, he gets a phone and, call from the restaurant. And we, we get that, uh, my issue with that, that weird guy who just seems to be everywhere. Yes, yes. So explain your, your dilemma. With so him. there's this guy who comes up to Cary Grant and tells him he has a phone call. And the guy, from what he's doing, he works at the beach club. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's exercising... While he's, you know, kind of between his duties. He's doing fitness in cinema. Yeah. It's almost yeah. as if uh, he stole my idea before <laughs> I was born. But he, uh, and you, there's a little, there's a little um, kind of throw off, I think, for the audience where he, he, you see him trying to listen in on the conversation. Yeah. While doing his pull-ups or right. whatever. He, mm-hmm. He's kind of just, he's snooping on him. And, yeah. And I, when you addressed that to me, I thought it was interesting because I'm like, well, it's, it's fascinating. It's, he's a misdirect. Ultimately, right, because he ends up like he ends up working for Bertani, the restaurant guy, yeah, while also kind of working a bunch of different like it's yeah. a con guy. But he's here. he's kind of like in the scene. So I and then I was like, well, maybe he was in there just to make people think he he's the cat burglar. Yeah, exactly. Which we won't reveal the identity of the cat burglar just yet. We just can't. yet. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. We gotta we gotta keep that secret. So right. If we mention it at any point, we'll do what Quentin does and just put a big beep. That's <laughs> 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 like uh, but uh so he gets a call from the restaurateur and then he leaves that area. He he says he's gonna hook him up with this strange guy who was asking about Yeah crime and the jewels and stuff yes so he's uh, gonna meet this guy at a flower market right 
And so we go to a flower market and you were telling me that I thought this was interesting in the perspective of like he wanted to originally shoot this in a carnival. It was going to be a carnival parade. Yeah. And and, and they they switch it to a flower market to save time and money, mm-hmm. which I I think is smart. And <laughs> it would have been interesting if he had done it in the carnival because of just like, you know, he does the the fair in Strangers on a Train to do the European uh diametric yeah. opposite of that. I, I think I think it was smarter to do a, a flower market because like a carnival parade would have been kind of big and flashy and they need to save that for the fireworks scene later and then the 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 ball yeah. at the end so you've got to you gotta build up to it yeah you gotta because I, I was like oh carnival parade it just reminds me of again a bond movie you know yeah. it's like <laughs> let's just stick in a cool set piece yeah let's just have something happen here but i and i like that it's toned down all right carrie you're gonna run through the day <laughs> of the dead parade right. there and <laughs> you're gonna do some parkour yeah you ever yeah. heard of parkour it's a french <laughs> word i don't know what it means but just do it <laughs> parkour <laughs> yeah um but no, the flower shop does provide a good use of the color as well, the color scheme, and if uh, which we we we'll talk a little bit about Robert Burks at this point because like he shoots the hell out of this movie with the color photography, um, and we talked a little bit about the helicopter shots, but you know Hitchcock was good with use when he made a color film, he knew how to use color, yeah, and he accentuates these flowers really well, so much so that he there's a lot of process shots in Hitchcock's films, obviously this one in particular has a lot of layering because of the location shooting mixed with what would be on a controlled set. The f- when uh when he uh Roby is talking uh to none other than H H Houston of uh of the insurance company. Um, John Williams. John Williams. No, not that John Williams. <laughs> he didn't he didn't score a space movie. Um he was in dial uh, and dial in for, for murder. murder. Yes, as Chief Inspector Hubbard, mm-hmm. the greatest Hitchcock cop yeah. of all time. And he, I think he repeated that role for the TV version of Dial in for Murder. And he did. And yeah. so, and and I was. Um, it is a. You know, if you have, you haven't, it's not out yet. But in the Mar- in Marshall's episode on Dial in for Murder, I am demanding more Inspector Hubbard novels. <laughs> uh, I want an animated kid show. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want all the things we're never gonna get because nice. John Williams is long dead. <laughs> um, but uh, that mustache is unmistakable too. So you, yeah. you will see him in other Hitchcock films as well. Yeah. But I think you know it's funny. Hubbard is a well-known character. I think Houston might be the thing he'll be most known for down the line because oh, like okay. people watch to Catch a Thief, even if they don't know what Hitchcock is, like they know that character. And this is a typical; it's a stereotypical British character of just stuffy. Yeah. But he's so much fun. Yeah. He yeah. plays into the scene. He knows. He knows how to interact with Grant. He, he does his nervous. Uh, ins- insurance man shtick <laughs> shtick very well. Yeah, and yeah. he plays off of Cary Grant's confidence. Yeah, and it's a nice uh, it's a nice uh, interaction between those two. Anytime they're on screen together, but their their conversation in front of the flowers provides that second layer. So when you're looking at the background po- process shot, it looks a little bit more. Uh, mesh together well than it does with other process shots like driving scenes or clearly we're on a set but we need a big background so this one kind of adds a layer of dimension yeah and when we talked about dialing for murder that's also done in scenes where they're looking outside of the apartment um uh from in mm-hmm. so it's it's about knowing how to set that up and it's a testament to a cinematographer who knows what's going to work within the frame and what won't right and also to hitchcock you know knowing what those process shots will be like yeah so they discuss the insurance game and what 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 would be the list of people who would be at risk for jewel heists of this nature 
Yeah, that that's uh, John Roby's plan is to try to catch the other cat. He's going to be like, I need to know who yeah who the targets are. Well, in order to know where the cat's going to be, I need to uh, you know I have a list of things and I need to track these people down. It takes a thief to, to catch, catch a thief. thief. That's ha! Ha! <laughs> Alma, Alma, get them a contract. Get them a contract. I don't care if I'm dead. Get these get these buffoons a contract. Next Martin and Lewis. Um, <laughs> and then he can go on and make French films. It'll be interesting. Um so yeah, they um they then meet up back at Roby's place where Roby goes into his background. And I talked a little bit about this again on the first episode, but this is the first of two instances where uh, Cary Grant's actual history melds into the character. The character, and you know whether that's Grant insisting on John Michael Hayes, hey, make my character uh, originally an acrobat, right? But Hitch, um, Cary Grant was indeed a uh, an acrobat uh, for uh, vaudeville right. before he got into movies. Um, amongst other things, and kind of, you know, wandered around Europe. He was born in England, comes to America. And that's mm-hmm. why he has that distinct voice that only Cary Grant has. Right. Not quite Cockney, not quite uh, from the Midwest. <laughs> right. It's uh, he's it's you know what's funny? Like I I always uh, describe it to myself as like it's it's what we think of continental, even though it's clearly not continental. Isn't it? But isn't that like the term? Isn't that close to the term? Continental. Yeah. Continental. Yeah. It's yeah. He's he's very sophisticated uh and this suave and debonair guy like he's just he's got the charm about him that 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 it's a that the melding of those two accents plays off as something that's only unique to him mid-atlantic mid-atlantic there you go yeah yeah so he's from jersey <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yes yes snoogans <laughs> <laughs> Uh, noinch, noinch, noinch. <laughs> so I, I love this scene because this is where uh Houston has has gotten the list together of yeah. his clients is like the me they're meeting for lunch so he, that he can get this so they can give this list to Roby. Yeah. And then they can talk about it. And he's just not he's super nervous because he doesn't know if John Roby is the current cat or not yeah so he's playing it close to the chest yeah. you and, know and Cary grant is not making it like easy for him at all yeah like he's like how many people did you kill in the war 72 and like, 72 <laughs> <laughs> you know he's like you know uh, and guess who's gonna be 73 <laughs> yeah and then he says oh my maid strangled a german general once without a sound and it's such a great joke because yeah. she comes out of frame she's in frame first she's giving the yeah. food and she walks out and she's like yeah she killed people yeah <laughs> yeah and then you know he he so he's he Houston's still trying to find like a good quality yeah in John Roby so that he can trust him he's like well I heard you were kind of a modern Robin Hood you gave away most of what you robbed and he goes no I kept everything yeah. myself <laughs> just... it reminds me of that two thousand year old man bit like, yeah you didn't know Robin Hood he stole from everybody and kept everything yeah <laughs> and yeah so he's not like he's not he's giving him really no reason to trust him other than. I know who I, I know how to do this. I can catch the person. It's like look, yeah. like you, none of my history is going to convince you right. that I am trustworthy. What <laughs> I can just tell you is, please trust me. Yeah. And there was there's the element, and there's a discussion about um, there's a discussion that comes down the line, and it's also kind of brought up earlier about like I I went to war to pay for a lot of the mistakes that I had made in committing those thefts because he was arrested. 
um, prior to the war. Prior to the war, and he was in jail. Yeah, and yeah. then he fought on the condition of a pardon. Right, and uh, which I mean, amongst other things, not all of his friends who were also thieves ever got to see that pardon because they died in the war. Right, so it's it's not even like uh, it's um it's parole. They're not even on pardon. They're on parole. Yeah. So he's on like you know thin ice. I thought. Well, I th- actually, I think they are pardons. I think they say they were pardons in the movie. I thought they said they were paroles. He he's on par- okay in this scene he's on parole right because he just got arrested at the flower market yes 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 that's right so he's on parole currently yes but they were pardons from his, their crimes before the war that's right yes 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 okay. gotcha okay so we, we cleared that we up. cleared that up yeah so uh, <laughs> Houston eventually relents. And he's just like, well, and, yeah, and Cary Grant's like, have some more wine. Yeah, you know, let, like, me ply, just, yeah. <laughs> let me ply it with alcohol. Yeah, and yeah. Then you will be a little more loose to trust me. Let's get me. some social lubricant to help you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Drink this last one. I'll turn you into a human walrus. <laughs> 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 um, so it's agreed. Yeah. He's going to assume an identity to start to weed out who could be the thief. Yeah. So he starts off with the Stevensons. And... We are brought back to the Ritz Carlton. That's right. And uh, the Stevens, the Stevens, sorry, not Stevenson, <laughs> Stevens. Uh, and uh, we are introduced again to Grace Kelly and to the best mother in <laughs> That's Hitchcock right. history, or at least the most lovable. Best is probably Norma Bates because she's. Norma Bates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if we're going to talk about the funnest one, it, it, I think it's a competition between this and North by Northwest when she plays Cary Grant's mom. That's right. But in this one, she's Grace Kelly's mom. We're bringing back up Jesse Royce Landis, my right. favorite gal to talk about. You know, she also played Grace Kelly's mom in The Swan. Yes. So mm-hmm. she's very good. It's when, And what's interesting to note, she's Cary Grant's age. Yeah, and she's, she's having to play older. Age. That's right. It's very clear they're yeah. the same age. She, it's she's so, a great actress. <laughs> yeah, she's a great actress. She she knows how to play off of like, look, I know that there is a uh, age inequality in this industry, right. but I'm gonna, but I'm going to play this to the hill. She she shines too in North by Northwest with that whole line about like, you boys aren't really trying to kill my boy, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's uh, she she is none other than. Uh, Jesse Stevens, yeah, and uh, her daughter Frances, played by Grace Kelly. Uh, they're walking through the hotel, and uh, Jesse is uh, a more down to earth uh, socialite. Yeah, so they and this this goes back to the the American tourist thing we were talking about earlier. It's like they're it's very elegant, but she's she's super down to earth. She's just like I, she's like I don't like champagne. I like bourbon. Yeah, you know, like I don't like. I don't like uh, fake people. I like real, you know, I like real people. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of refreshing. It's just like, oh, here's just a normal person with the, their head on their shoulders. Yeah. She just happens to have money and travels around. Yeah. He's just enjoying the money. It's the kind money. of, the, yeah, the, the, the elegance that she wears on the outside with clothing and stuff like that is very much just like a, a facade to a certain extent. Yeah. And that's deepened later when we find out more about her and yeah. her family history. Um, I also want to point out Grace Kelly's wearing ice blue. Yes. Means she, so they're giving her a cold outer demeanor. Yes. She's no, no feeling. The cool blonde is what yeah. I call mm-hmm. it. Like, Let me tell you about Hitchcock 101. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. And again, that's, a, that's Edith Head, you know, and Hitchcock coming together and going like, how can we identify this? Yeah. What's interesting is that that terminology is used for the, bl- the cool blonde and whatnot. This yeah. is the film. This is a film where he's allowed to be on the nose, mm-hmm. and it still falls in line with elegance for him. Right. Obviously, critics don't always latch on to that 
when it's happening. Yeah. But we're looking in the in the future now. We're seeing it from the from a perspective like backward. We're seeing this as just like, well, this is just where he was allowed to be a little bit more loose with yeah. his terminology in a way that in Rear Window, I think it's a little bit tighter. Yeah. Uh, and a li- it's not subtle so much as it's just it's not as pronounced or extravagant. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're in an apartment complex versus the French Riviera. Right. So there's a difference between the two. So they're at the table. They go. Uh, they're gambling at the table. And John Roby approaches and... Uh, Finds a way to get introduced to them by. Um, I'm trying to. She. He was. He basically. He claims that he had chips down there. Yeah. He. So he. He. Um. Drops a. Um. A gambling chip down the front of a of a woman's dress because he's Cause kind of standing over her exactly and it's risque and um. And then he he says, "Madam, that was a ten thousand franc plaque." <laughs> And then she gives him a stack of chips, and he goes, "I'll trust you too. I won't count it." So he's <laughs> he's very clever and funny and trying to get and, and Jesse, Stevenson's attention. And yeah. Jesse laughs her head off. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. Like, and that's an, and again, Je, Jesse Royce Land, Je, Jesse Royce Land is is able to convince you that she would be infatuated by this young upstart. Yeah, even though the age, obviously, mm-hmm. and so it cuts to them talking. Jesse's very involved with him. Houston's there, and Houston's kind of just still just, just a nervous wreck just, of a man. He's just doing his job. <laughs> he's the socially he's socially awkward in this situation because it's just like I just need to know what how many more jewels my company's gonna have to pay right. for. And then meanwhile, Francis is just kind of like. I don't like this guy. I got, or I don't trust him, or something like something's off. And she's she's just she's just she's being cool. quiet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, and Jesse's trying to ins- instigate a relationship. Like, Why haven't you made a pass at my, my daughter? daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you do not hear that today. No, no, <laughs> and you will never hear it today. <laughs> like that is never said out loud. <laughs> um, it Jesse Rice Landis said the quiet part loud and the loud mm-hmm. part quiet. Um, but uh, Grant is pretending to be a uh, lumberman from Oregon named Mr. Burns. Um, Conrad Burns. Conrad Burns. Yeah. What a, what a name. What a name. <laughs> it sounds like a character that Vincent Price should be playing in some it kind does, of horror movie. Yeah. I'm Conrad Burns. I'm Conrad Burns. <laughs> Welcome to my factory, children. <laughs> I'm Conrad Burns and the Death Factory. <laughs> um, so um, uh, they retire for the evening. Francis uh, is brought back to her room by uh, John Roby, and uh, this is a good time to bring up the music by Lynn Murray. Well, because yeah, <laughs> I I, I want to talk about the music, and I also want to talk about um, Alfred Hitchcock's view on um, the women he preferred. Yes, because um, I think you know, was it was it Truffaut? Uh, in Truffaut's book, he asked him. He's like. People prefer a Marilyn Monroe type, yeah. you know, someone where sex is is on display. Yeah, sex appeal is on display. And and Hitchcock said, I much prefer English women who dress like librarians and secretaries, and then they're very wild the next yes. minute. And so I think that's sort of what he was doing with with, with Grace Francis. Kelly in this scene. It's just she's very cold. Yep. and 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 withdrawn. And all of a sudden, boom! Hot kiss. Yeah, right there. At the and at cue the a saxophone. Yeah, cue, wow, cue wow, a, wow, yeah, cue the saxophone. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. And then it, and then Cary Grant turns around and he's got lipstick on his face. I, I love the look on his face there because it's like, 
when when he makes those kind of faces, it's like one, he knows more than you. Uh-huh. Two, there's he finds it amusing. You know, he's, whatever he's thinking about is amusing. And three, he's also maybe a little flabbergasted. Like, yeah. oh, that was interesting. He, you know, he, he does that with he he has the it's a breaking the fourth wall in a way that yeah it it doesn't distract. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he's done it in other Hitchcock films before. But this one in particular is kind of just like it's a it's a little sly commentary on the romance yeah. element. Like we know what we're doing. But here. I mean, it just like it it just it shows that like there's there's more going on in his head than you yeah than you realize. It adds a yeah. depth that only Grant can add because that right. and that, and that stems partially from the persona, mm-hmm. but it also stems from his ability to kind of think on his feet. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock didn't like improv, right? But Hitchcock wasn't going to turn away at a performance like that. I don't yeah, think. and I think that that's. I think that has to come from Grant instinctively knowing how to play that scene. Because mm-hmm. um, Hitchcock would, would – it's not that he wouldn't direct the actors, but he was very much like the char- you as the character can do what you want so long as you yeah. stay in my frame. Mm-hmm. And so this is Grant showing Grant off. Yeah. Um, and, yes, the reserved nature of her until she decides I'm into this, then suddenly color schemes will change. Mm-hmm. And that musical change and that music ends up coming to play – down the line in terms of this is the last score uh, uh, that Hitchcock has by somebody that's not Bernard Herman until the Bernard Herman wave kicks. Right. And it starts with trouble with Harry. It ends with Marnie. And uh, the, the music that Lynn Murray does is very fanciful. Mm -hmm. Um, When it, when it does the burglary scenes, it's a, it's effectively dramatic Mm -hmm. and kind of, uh, I would call it even melodramatic to an extent of just the way it's playing up the, this is danger, yeah. but this is excitement. This yeah. is romance. Yeah. They're very on-the-spot cues. Mm-hmm. And uh, he plays a lot with the romance in this movie. Yeah. Um, so it's the next day. Uh, there's been another burglary, uh, and it's Stevens. Uh, jewelry has gone missing. Oh, no. No. You're, you're jumping ahead. No, no, no. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. No, yeah. it's, it's another robbery. It's another, another just another person it's got robbed. Just another person but got Cary robbed. But Cary Grant and Houston are, are at the Stevenson's uh, hotel room. Yep, and they're basically talking about the jewelry, and we learn more about Jessie's, what her level of importance is with this jewelry. Because Houston's trying to get her to, to put the, the jewels in the in the hotel safe, and yeah. she's just like, well, I didn't. I didn't buy them to put away. I bought them to wear. Yeah, it's like, what and am I, I going to do? Wear the safe around my neck? Yeah, and she's <laughs> like, and I have them insured, you know. And she's like, so yeah, we're it's all fine. We're all gravy. Yeah. And then she puts a cigarette out in an egg. In an egg. Yeah. yeah. And so, there's a close up on it. Yeah, exactly. Which I, I guess I didn't notice till today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is that a sexual thing? It you know, could, like a phallic object being put out in an egg. Which that could be. And it's also, you know, Hitchcock liked his food shots. You and know, he obviously. didn't like eggs. Yeah, <laughs> is that true? He didn't like eggs. Not sure. Okay. Did, did, did I like eggs? Do, ha ha! <laughs> it's funny because they don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I, I, be, I thought that was something I read that he didn't like eggs. If he didn't like eggs. Wow. But uh, it's weird. I, I wouldn't put too much weight into that. No, it's it's totally. I mean, no. I mean, like you know, he had a hefty diet, but maybe that's just like no, that's just the one thing yeah. I can do. Mm-hmm. I can do a salad. And you you also said it was like uh, sort of a, a rich person to do there's an there's an elegant there's like it's like their wealth suggests that they can just 
you know waste put, food waste food by putting tobacco use tobacco in there yeah, yeah. now i highly doubt that that's the definite that, reason yeah yeah but that's me reading into it going like ha the bourgeois well i mean but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but like and you know again like it is also just like it's it's a funny moment yeah again we are dealing with a fanciful movie yeah so like you know it's a moment of comedy um so they <laughs> They're talk uh, as they're talking about this. Francis enters, and she's uh, in a little bit more of a bright, optimistic. She's costume. in a warmer color. Yeah, and she yeah. has flowers on it and blends in with the couch. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's a nice little touch of design where the uh, art director and the costume designer are working hand in tandem. Yeah. to create an image that stands out. She doesn't like sink into it, but it's very clear that there's a matching point. Yeah, I think she's she's. Warming up to to John Roby. Her her relationship with him is starting to blossom. Oh, like <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, that that see that one was risque. <laughs> so they decide they're going to go swimming. Uh, but Roby, we should be pointing out. This goes back to the Cary Grant not being attainable. Yeah, he doesn't really want to go swimming. He, no, he doesn't. Do. He's like, uh, okay. Yeah, sure. Why, yeah. why not? I guess you're Grace Kelly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why not? So. He meet he meets her in the hotel lobby and suddenly she's in a uh, she's a very flashy outfit, very flashy outfit, a big black bathing suit, white skirt that's yeah. the long way skirt, big white hat, big white hat. Everyone in the hotel lobby is staring at her and yeah. taking him all nervous. all the guys, yeah. <laughs> all the guys in their short sixties fifties sixties bathing suits. Well, I think he's nervous because he doesn't want the attention. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. just like I'm tr- I'm I'm on the Trying. low down, yeah, yeah, sister. <laughs> I'm trying to catch some thieves. Right. The, I'm doing the title of the movie, <laughs> and you are making a scene right? just by being Grace Kelly. Now, then they walk to the beach. They go to the beach, and Roby uh, interacts with Danielle once again, who has uh, noticed yeah. that they are here and swims out, and sh- he meets her out there, and um, Danielle uh, <laughs> just keeps... So, like just flirting up a storm with Cary Grant, yeah, laying it on thick. Yeah, and so much to the, so to the point visually, she is literally posing like it's just like come at it, boy. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you know, it, and I I don't know if we pointed it out, but you know, Brigitte Brigitte uh, um, uh, Brigitte Aubert, uh, she's older than she's Grace year, Kelly, a year older, and she has to play younger. And she has to play a teenager. Yeah, and the joke in the scene to follow is that they are uh, cackling at each other about yeah. how in the cat fight, the cat scene. fight, and they, they with, sort of have a verbal cat fight. Yeah, scene. and if you've ever like wanted to see like the the full Technicolor epic version of Cary Grant going, uh, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I, I love I love him in the scene because. You know, he's like, well, I can't stop them from being jealous of each other. You know, and yeah. then at one point, Grace Kelly's like, are you enjoying yourself, Mr. Burns? And he just goes, oh, I love it. You know, the sun is shining. It's very nice out here. You know, <laughs> and, and it's just it's uh, it's so funny because it's just, you know, just someone who's laughing at just the situation that they're in. And you have like a little bit of the actual Cary Grant coming through. Yeah. Like his shy, mm-hmm. his shy demeanor. Who's yeah. Like, he was always famous as saying, like, I want to be Cary Grant. Like, yeah. Everybody wants to be Cary Grant, even me. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, he's clearly letting a little bit of his shyness kind of pop through. Mm-hmm. So um, there's the discussion of just, like, what are you doing here? Why are you hanging around with Grace mm-hmm. Kelly? And, you know, and he goes, that's a stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they – but they have that little cat fight, and then uh, the, the the lines are made clear for this. Uh, and 
he uh, goes back to the beach. He, uh, we meet our our beach bully again, or our, um, uh, yeah, yeah, and he's still working at the beach club. Yeah, and he's kind of uh, looking off to a guy who's on the top level of the beach, and Cary Grant. I think that's a cop. It's a yeah. cop, yeah. And Cary Grant goes back to the hotel. The cop follows him, um, and the there's an exchange by him and Francis to, you know, I'm going to go out and looking for villas. To rent. He, he, yes, yeah. except he's not. He's going to go find the locations of where yeah, things he's gonna are going to be. He's going to go scout the rooftops. He's just like, where oh, robbery is going to be. I got to, I got to, I got to do some location scouting yeah. for this film. <laughs> um, so then she's just like, well, I'll come along. I'll, 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 Let's go you? on a picnic. Yeah, exactly. I'll yeah. bring chicken and beer. And he's just like, well, that does sound delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> so they get in their car and they drive off, and the police are tailing them. Uh, and uh, these. <laughs> These two cops are a lot of fun. <laughs> and unlike other Hitchcock movies where they're played for absolute buffoons, this one is a little bit more in-jokey of just like, look, yeah, they're cops, but they're also going to have their fun. They they flagrantly forget their duties while trailing him. <laughs> they're, they're, so they stop at – Cary Grant and Grace Kelly stop at one of the villas, quote-unquote, for rent. Yeah. Um, and – Cary Grant and Grace Kelly are, are just walking around talking. This is where we have like another. It's where we talked about that dialogue scene. That yeah, was that's, cut and it in starts the, in the, the car. Yeah. yeah, and then they pull up to the villa and they start mm. talking about it. And the villa is where we get a lot of that phallic imagery coming back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, in fact, one, two of the bushes look explicitly like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. I didn't it's not even that just. It's today. not it's spherical. Like it's literally just like no, there, that bush goes in front of that <laughs> one. And yeah. See what it creates. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <Yeah. laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so, and while they're at this villa, uh, Bertani shows up, doesn't say hello, but he's, but he's there. He like, they carry Grant and him see each other and then he walks off and yeah. it's like, what is he doing there? Yeah. And Bertani's more, and what is, what it's later found as Bertani is casing the joint. Um, but, uh, don't say that yet. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Shh. Oh yeah. I have to bleep it. Like uh, bleep yeah. that. Oh, uh, Quentin, get in here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I'll, I'll go ahead and bleep it, man. <laughs> um, so, but they are in the middle of their most flirty conversation yet to the point where they talk about his fake history as a lumberman. And he, she says the wonderful line. I bet, uh, bet but, you told the women all your trees were sequoias. Sequoias, yeah. And to which the and audience he, he goes, and and Car- I love his response. He goes, it "Sure, sounds like jealousy to me." Yeah, you know. And uh, Hitchcock goes, "Ha!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on set. Yeah, Hitch, will you stop doing that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And then so they leave that villa. They're gonna go driving again, and we see the cops playing like hacky sack or something. I think they're playing with a piece of paper. Oh, okay, it looks like a piece of paper. <laughs> like they're just children. Like yeah, they're just yeah. like, whoopee, whoopee. <laughs> but I mean, they're just—they're—it's a stakeout, so yeah, they're just exactly. waiting for them to get on the road again, and then they have to jump in the car and take so, off. Soda bear, you think about getting onto the knife? <laughs> nah, man, I'd be a cop forever. <laughs> and it's—it's it's in this next sequence where Grace Kelly reveals that she knows. Cary Grant is John. She says, "You, um, I know that you I know John, that you are John Roby the and cat." The, and the music cues in with that, mm-hmm. dun, dun, yeah. dun, but mm-hmm. not that you know explicit right. note. Um, meanwhile, they are still being uh, tailed. Yeah. But then, um, thankfully, a chicken crosses the road. Right. Many jokes begin with uh, with that with that line, and it's nice to know that Hitchcock said, "What if I just visualize this?" Well, and. <laughs> I think there was a a play on the like Poulet is mm-hmm. chicken yeah and I think Poulet is also has something to do with French cops yeah 
I don't. I might be. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. But, um, but I'm sorry, it, I'm not prepared. No, it's okay. <laughs> you, heck, you're you're more prepared than most than, than, than most people would ever be in any situation involving French discussion. Right? <laughs> but um, and that's when we get to the picnic scene. Yeah. Oh, before that, we should say that these cops have been stopped by the chicken and. Uh, oh yeah, they, they are. They swerve to, to miss the chicken in the road. Yeah. and they crash. Yeah, but we yeah. don't see the crash. We see the aftermath, which I think yeah. is actually more effective. Like just to edit back yeah, to their. Yeah, me just too. Like, yeah. What happened to those cops? And it's just them trying to get the yeah. chickens. Yeah, and the chicken is is yeah. <laughs> And it's no good because it's chicken insurance. Yeah, exactly. It's not regular insurance. Paid with chicken feed seeds. Yeah. You see, it's, that's not going to fix a car. Yeah. So they, <laughs> <laughs> unless they're lawyers, that Southern hypertrophy <laughs> drama. Right. Um. So they have the picnic, and um, uh, since she's got him on a bit of a uh, a dangling string here, he's trying to play off. He's trying to deny it. He says, "I don't know what the hell you're talking about, lady." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, there's another sexual innuendo joke here. She goes, to le- uh, "Leg or breast?" And he goes, "You choose." Hitch, <laughs> 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 I told you for the last time. Yeah. Stop being immature on this set. <laughs> um. So no, he but he gets the food out for him, and they kind of just talk about like how did she figure it out, and yeah, the banter back and forth. It's it's the playful kind of banter that we were discussing with this dialogue is like it's good romantic dialogue it's it's the evolution of what screwball mm-hmm. like exchange it's, would it's, be it's very playful um they're both kind of trying to outsmart each other and they're both kind of doing they're fulfilling that they're like they're both not outsmarting each other but they're both uh keeping up with each other yeah and she's starting to let her color show about what she admires or what she's finding attractive she's finding his his burglar lifestyle exciting yeah she she says uh um the kitten gets a uh, the cat gets a new kitten yeah she wants to help him with his robberies and he's like he's like uh, i think he, he stops denying it near the end but he's just like we're not gonna we're not gonna. We're not gonna do this. No. Yeah. He's just but like, then they kiss. No, not today. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> then they kiss. Yeah. And then uh, she blackmails him into dinner. <laughs> yeah. She says, "If you don't show up for dinner, I'll have you paged everywhere." Is John Roby the cat? <laughs> He's like, "Well, shit." Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, a line I want to. I want to. I pointed it out uh, earlier. It's in the beginning of the like right at the beginning of the picnic scene. She says, "You're like an American in an English movie. You just don't talk the way you're supposed to." Yeah, and she and talks I was about like, the different things that Americans are supposed. And to And I was talk like, about. "That's funny because." This is an Englishman, you know. Yeah, it's an American movie, but it's a, a you know the English director. Yeah, and they're in France, and he's you know, and Cary Grant's sort of an American. Yeah, you know what I mean, partial yeah. American. Yeah, so they're playing off of these tropes. Yeah, and I, was, get, I just that that was a very tongue in cheek. Yeah, moment. And, and again, this is going back to like he because he can be this fanciful since it's not a construction effort like Vertigo or yeah. Man Who Knew Too Much or Rear Window. He is able to. You know, throw in those little in jokes. That's why you can get a head turn after a kiss. That's why you can get, you know, the phallic imagery. Even. Mm-hmm. This is why you can get away with these these overt images is because you are living in fantasy land. Yeah, you are not living in, you know, like I mean, all of Hitchcock's films take place in a fantasy of sorts because they're all escapist entertainment to one yeah. degree or another. But you know, obviously, the world that Psycho inhabits is much more down to earth than say what we're dealing with on the French Riviera. Right. Yeah. Um. So. They meet up for dinner in the hotel room and uh, for cocktails. Yes, for cocktails. For Foc- two? cocktails and dinner. Yes, and there's a fireworks show going in the going background. on at, in yeah and uh, big old metaphor here and time to bring in George Tomasini into this mix That's as right. an editor because 
Uh, Hitchcock uh, normally uh, is noted, obviously, for his uh, preparation and detail, and a lot of things are storyboarded in the process. But that does not mean you don't have the involvement of the editor in finding what moments work the best in which to cut them in. And this is a scene that works really well for Tomasini's talent into uh, constructing this scene where we have these fireworks in the background and then when we get to the eventual climax of the scene, ha, well, ha, we, <laughs> you see what they did? It's, oh, God, this, the, the better than Larry the Cable Guy, Alma. <laughs> um, so they, uh, they we, but you see the, the kind of like the way he's able to insert that, what's essentially a process shot in the wides of this fireworks show. He's able to close in on that in the middle of their embrace by the end of this scene. But this is very much a, uh, a scene of her, of her, uh, you know, still infatuated with his robbery and him still denying it. And yeah. she tempts him with these jewels around her neck. And she, yeah. And she's, she's dressed in white. Yeah. Which showing, you know, maybe the, how innocent she is. The purity element mm-hmm. of everything. He's dressed in a, just a black just, tuxedo. Yeah. You know, maybe kind of showing, you said, uh, it's more, it's more uh, of a mask for his more of a mask yeah, yeah. May, maybe showing him he could be a bad guy yeah it, he's pl- they're playing with his like and they're playing with, with lighting as well where mm-hmm. she gets more brightly lit angles and he's kind of in a cross where there's a slash of light across mm-hmm. his face it's not noir that it would be a great like label to pin it on sometimes but yeah. it's just clever lighting yeah. within that dark and it, embrace and there's a couple shots where her face is entirely in shadow and you yeah. can't see anything and you're focusing solely on those pearls on the, on the, on the pearls and her chest yes exactly because that's very prominent in this scene it's just like yes and i and i i think that's also funny it's like kind of shows like maybe you can't trust her entirely yeah. or maybe she's She's, al- she's also showing herself as more of an object, yeah, being faceless to him, yeah. Then, which is like, and that and that kind of implicates of just like, well, what what does Roby care about, right? And we're playing with that idea, even though we have already been set up that Roby has very much established what his priorities are, right? So this is a play on that. She's she's goading him on, mm-hmm. um, and then it, it kind of it, the scene ends with him embracing the. The jewelry under his own yeah. hand. They they sit down on the couch, and me- meanwhile, as the scene progresses, the fireworks are getting bigger, and they're showing um, more close up shots of the fireworks, and they're getting bigger and. Grander. Bring on more M80s! <laughs> I want whiz bangers and all the black cats you can have. But but she literally like, she kisses his hands, and then she literally puts the necklace in his hand. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of funny. It's like. Uh, I said I think I think the necklace is also just talking about her her purity her purity and her her virginity and yeah. she's just like saying here it is it's yeah. in your hands yeah and it's a, and it's another example of how he is ultimately playing up the uh, the imagery of yeah. this film and just being it's on the nose but again you are dealing with this escapist fair yeah. and also it's it's. It, you know, we've talked about you know how you identify these the imagery in these films and whatnot. Hitchcock is a great teaching tool for how to identify imagery. In yeah. Um, whether whether intentional or not, obviously sometimes some film theorists you know latch onto certain things or like or read into something that may not be there. Yeah. Uh, Hitchcock actually dealt a lot with this with the discussion of some of of a scene in Torn Curtain where uh, a, an ex of a, a, a German. 
official on the Russian side being uh, execu- or being killed by having his head shoved in a gas oven, uh, which in this is in the post-World War II era. Yeah. And it's an imagery that Hitchcock had addressed, and he's just like, well, that wasn't intentional. Yeah. And it's like, but it's there. Yeah. And so do with this what you will. Right. Um, so he plays with this in a much more lighthearted yeah. fashion, obviously. And and I think, and you know, you, you, they, the, the way they shot it, it, you could also say, well, sh- maybe they make out for a little bit and she just innocently falls asleep on the couch. Yes, exactly. They, they show it that way, but you can also be like, yeah, but we're trying to tell it, uh, you know, trying to say different things in the scene. Exactly. You know, and, and, you know, and he says, you know, he's holding the necklace. He goes, you know, as well as I do, this necklace is imitation. She says, but I'm not. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's when they kiss, and that's when the fucking orgasm fireworks go off. Yes, exactly. And so that, and again, Tomasini knowing when yeah. to cut it in between those different moments. Yeah. Because it cuts in between the conversation, too. Yeah. And as the scene progresses, the fireworks get more intense. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not audible, but you can hear Hitchcock in the background going, Whoa, fireworks! Yeah. I don't care if we're in Nebraska! <laughs> I don't care what fire code we break! And this, um, this is also a scene where Lynn Murray was told to tone down the saxophone because it was too sensual exactly so the the uh we can bring up uh the sherlock office mm-hmm. uh sherlock office notorious uh for uh, attempting to ruin hitchcock's films amongst other things they were going to uh trim the hell out of psycho until hitchcock was able to fool them and he did it again mm-hmm. uh well he did this for the first time one of the first times sherlock had entered the offices at this point and they said you've got to tone down that scene and he told thomasini don't touch Anything. They just changed the music. George, don't touch it. Yeah. Lynn, take out that sax. I'm sorry. Take <laughs> no, it out. No sexy sax. No no sexy sax. What do you think this is? The shadow? <laughs> We're not doing the shadow. It, what is that? It's a movie. It hasn't come out yet. It's based on something we know today. Uh, yeah. But it won't come out until later. It will star a Baldwin brother. Um, oh, God. And the moment, when the moment, uh, sidetrack for a second. The moment you told me that there's Kenny G. Music uh, in the shadow is when yeah. I finally realized it was in there. Like I was, I'd watched that movie for years, never thought about it. Yeah, and then you pointed it out to me, and I'm just like, it's fucking ruined. <laughs> well, I I love the shadow. I do too. But I just. I yeah, yeah that, that it's so jarring. It's like why we were just listening to swing music in I know, the other yeah. scene. Um but so anyway, the 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 scene ends, it's the next day, or it's well it's later that evening. It's later that evening, you see uh Roby's taken off his black coat, so and he's taken off his mask. So he's now innocent. Yes. He's in white. Mm-hmm. But he's I he's he's waiting up for uh the cat. Yeah, he's trying to the he's burglar. trying to catch the cat yeah. in action. He's trying to catch a thief. And <laughs> Oh, 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 <laughs> oh, shit. Um, and that's when um, Grace Kelly bursts in the room. She's like, give them back. And she's like, give them back to me. And which, you know, now she's talking about her virginity again. Yes. Uh, which is like, sorry, I can't do that. Yeah. It's like, well, it's kind of hard now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but right. um, we find out that. Tom, George, don't touch it. <laughs> don't change that frame. Um, Jesse. Um, uh, Jess- Stevens, her mom, Grace Kelly's mom's jewels have been stolen. Yes, exactly. And he's just like, well, I'm not. He's I, like, I didn't take them. I didn't take them. And she's she's finally just laying into like, I know what you are, and this is clearly the the realist. So it's like her infatuation with it is over because now it's she thinks it's because she because she's the victim. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So the so the so she is now. She is now infuriated with this, and now her infatuation with the thief lifestyle is kind of dissolving a little bit for her. Yeah. So she because she lost something as well. Yeah. So, her. um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> ha! 
Do I need to say it again? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's but it's clear. No, it's, it, it, her innocence has lost in this yeah. situation. Now she's a little bit more open to, or her mind is now seeing what has been going on. What's actually from her perspective? What his yeah. lifestyle actually yes. consists of, and what yeah. are the consequences of that? Yeah. And so he goes into the apartment uh, uh, without Grace Kelly's knowledge, and you know talks to Jesse, the mother. And it's just like, well, like I, I mean, I he, he tells her, I'm, I'm actually a jewel thief I'm, called John Roby the Cat, and she's just delighted. And she, she's just like, oh my, she's like, I haven't how, seen how, one of you people in years. And she's like, how exciting, yeah. And and, then, and she doesn't care that her jewels were stolen. She's just, she's like, just like, they were fun at first, but it, it's really not worth it. That 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 guy with the wonderful mustache will take care of That's us. That's right. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's revealed within this that when when uh, Francis comes back in to confront. Roby further and she's doing her own little detective work and playing with the umbrella which is a funny funny little scene and yeah. more imagery being played with there but also mm-hmm. just a matter of just like it's Grace Kelly having fun with an umbrella right like, it's <laughs> just like she could be doing like a tap dance at that point it'd be hilarious um, but it's revealed within there like you know, Francis, your dad was a scoundrel, yeah, too. Yeah, she says, he your was dad a, was a swindler. Yeah, your dad was a scruffy-looking nerf herder. But he, was, but he was a charming one. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, she's, but she's embittered by this. It's because of him that we had to, that I had to shelter uh, shelter you from people like him for yeah. years. And she's just like, well. Because people are after their money. Yeah, it's stuff, like, well, yeah. clearly you're not and, doing a great job if you're seducing <laughs> the people. Plus, you can see where grace kelly's character why she's attracted to a thief john roby obviously yeah. there's a bit of a of, a, of an idea ideation of the father and, yeah uh what he does um and so the uh uh the police uh have arrived but john roby disappears yeah um and uh, is up on the roofs and escapes that way um and he lays low by pretending to be uh, a fisherman, uh, possibly preparing for an old man in the That's sea. That's right. Uh, and uh, Hewson comes to see him, and they go over like, I, I know who it is. Uh, not yet. Oh, no, no. They, they, I think he knows who the next victim is going to be. He knows who the be. next victim is going to be. And they go over like, well, and, and Hewson's worried about the risk that it's involved on him. Too. Yeah, so he tells Houston to tell the police to go to this location yeah i said the cat will be there i will be there yeah and we're trying to trap the the cat yeah and then you know so then we cut to the villa that we had visited earlier where that had been cased um or no this is not the same one so this is the the nighttime scene where you you don't see anybody walking around but you see bushes and shadows moving so this and this is another this is one of those examples of the pure cinema again like there's only a few sounds, and the few sounds that we really hear have to do with people in agony or falling off of a cliff. But the the gist of the scene is you see that the, the place is quiet, there's nothing about, and then the camera pans over to someone being attacked. Some, somebody has John Roby yeah. in a headlock. Yeah, somebody has John Roby in a headlock, and then you see the, the blunt image of a wrench and, that's going to go down. Yeah, and then there's somebody else there with a wrench, and I can only assume the people, the person with the wrench... It's going after Roby. But we don't find out who that is, do we? No, we don't. But it, it, it might, more than likely, it's one of two things. It's, uh, it's either Bertani, which or, I highly doubt. Or that younger guy at the beach club. Or the younger guy at the beach club, yes. Mm. Um, and again, this all ties into what the big reveal will be. Right. But, uh, but it is revealed that 
um, the uh, the father of Danielle, uh, uh, Fusad. Fusan. Uh, Fusan. The uh, Bond henchman with yeah. the, the limp and the white Curses, streak. Curses, uh, <laughs> you defeated me. <laughs> well, I guess that's uh, one croissant he won't be eating this evening. <laughs> that was a terrible one, man. <laughs> Albert, get in here. Change this fucking dial. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, so he dies. The cat, uh, the, so feasibly, the cat burglaries have been solved. That's what the police think. That's the story they told the newspapers. Yes, exactly. And uh, Houston's trying to figure out, like, when will these jewels be recovered? Covered so that maybe we can avoid having to write a check for 92 million francs. Yeah. And uh, John Roby comes in and just goes, <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> you solved the mystery. <laughs> well, they, uh, yeah, so they're in the police chief's office. Uh, Houston is in the police chief's office, and he's, he's trying to ask him, he's like, do I have to write a check or do you think you can recover the, the jewels? Yeah. And he's like, well, it takes some time. And, and Roby comes in right then and says, I would say it takes several centuries. Yeah. So, and because now he's free because they quote unquote caught the cat. Yes, exactly. But then, but then Roby reveals to Houston, he's like, Oh, he had a wooden leg. Yeah. You didn't know facade. And you you were able to, you know, carefully not reveal that Mm -hmm. to the papers. And he's just like, you're free because the cat burglar was caught, but the day I see you on a roof yeah. will be the day that I arrest you. Yeah. And he's just like, well, I'm going to catch the cat burglar yeah. tonight. And then the- well, then he says he's going go to the, he's gonna go to Fusad's funeral, yeah. and he says where the cat will be. And, and then they're like, do you, know where the, do you know who the cat is? And that's when he says, I do know who the cat is. Yes, but I'm going to catch him and then because I've got to well, prove it. And they're like, well, tell us. And he goes, well, you wouldn't believe me. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of falls back into the logic of the of one of the films previous to this dial in for murder of like, you know, Hubbard has to be like, look, I have to see Ray Milland try to come through the door successfully in order to confirm that he is indeed right. the killer right. or the or, or the person who planned the killing. So it's the same logic of just like, no, yeah. I, no, I need a reason to show this <laughs> wonderful climax on top of a roof. Um, so, so they go to the funeral. We need an exciting ending, so I'm not going to tell you who the who the burglar is right now. Look, it, it wouldn't. It's not as. It just ex- wouldn't be fun. Yeah, I don't want the dragnet announcer telling you what happened at the end at Los Angeles Superior yeah. Court. <laughs> I can't just, so they go to the. He goes to the <laughs> funeral and. Uh, uh, you know, all the other thieves are, you know, oh, the whole restaurant, the whole ro- yeah. whole restaurant crew is there. Even the guy who dropped the plate, they're all there. And remember this guy that with the peg leg was Danielle's father. Yes, exactly. So Danielle is uh, rightfully pissed. Yeah. Like, you you killed my father. Like, yeah, she accuses, she calls him a murderer. Yeah. And then he and Carrie Gant slaps her across the face. Yeah. And, and like one of the lightest slaps imaginable. Yeah. It's, it's mainly just how it's filmed, but it was just interesting to notice. It's like, man, like it's, it's, very delicate. Like, mm-hmm. like, I know you're in mourning, but stop it. Mm-hmm. So, but again, like, you know, and it's, a, it's that 50s thing of just like, it's, it's okay to slap people. Oh, yeah. So anyway, but he knows who the killer, or, or who, the, who the thief is from the funeral. He leaves the funeral. Um, in a cross cut from this, though, it is revealed that um, uh, Francis finds out that he is not the burglar, that it was actually yeah, that's what right. they think she, is Fusad. Yeah. And uh, she, she apologizes. And Jesse's just like, well, you've got to make up for it in many different languages, oh, yeah. sweetheart. <laughs> so the only way that that character would have been more exaggerated is if you were played by Mae we- West. Yeah. That would be the only <laughs> way it would be even more like on the nose. Um, so the, she apologizes. And he's just like, yeah, well, the cape is not over, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. So he so they uh, she apologizes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then she confesses her love for him and he goes oh uh, like Cary Grant does yeah like, <laughs> I guess so like, <laughs> oh okay yeah um and then I, mean, um, I guess I am alluring, <laughs> dynamic, and charming. Um, so Cary Grant then tells her, "I need an invitation to this gala ball because yeah. that this is where we'll catch the cat." Yes. Well, this is where we'll catch the thief. The thief. Yes. Ha ha. <laughs> uh. <laughs> they planned it. So they planned a scheme. Yeah. Um, we cut to and we cut to this ball scene, which this is. Edith. And this is this is her. This is Edith Head's shining hour. Yeah, that's right. We're dealing with, you know, uh, Marie Antoinette and King Louis era French ga- French aristocracy and this, gowns the, and the, costumes. The most extravagant gowns you'll see. Like the only way this gets any more extravagant is if Hitchcock is actually doing a period piece. Um, so <clears throat> we have people coming through the ballroom and you know, being introduced in their own way and you get to see these gowns on display. And again, it's like, it's a, it's a scene that's not necessarily entirely necessary to the plot. You don't need to show all those people coming through. Right. But it's a chance to show that elegance it's, that yeah, Edith exactly. Head is able to bring to the mm-hmm. table as well. And they're, they're showing the wealth. Yeah. Because they're also doing close-ups of like people's jewelry. Yeah. Which is, you know, which makes which, sense. Which pertains to yeah. the story mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. And it also ties into... um we kind of talked a little bit about VistaVision and what its purpose was like yeah. in terms of a visual format. It's mainly designed to bring people out of their houses watching television into the theater. Yeah. We try to create an experience in the theater, and so shots like that help with that. But with somebody like Hitchcock, he's able to make it useful to the story yeah. and not necessarily like just, just fodder. Mm-hmm. It's not like a useless musical number or something right. like that. It, it, there's a purpose behind it. So Grace Kelly enters in a... Like a, a, a an elaborate golden gown. Yeah. With, like I'm assuming, is her hair got golden like 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 spe- speckles in it or something? I like think that? so. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't notice that until today. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, oh, it's just that's her blonde hair. Yeah. But no, she's in a big elaborate gold dress. His, her mother's in blue. And we sh- we should point out that after the the scene where she accuses Roby of. Uh, Theft. Yeah, she goes back to that ice blue color. Yes, because she's cold to him. Because she's cold on him until yeah. she reads the paper. And then after the funeral, she's in a lighter color. She's in a warmer color again. And yeah. now she's in gold, which I was like, now she's the prize for John Roby. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if, and if we're talking of like that fifties logic of just like, oh, yeah. this is the this is the trophy at the end for the man to claim. Yeah. Um. But like in the color before that, when they're outside of the funeral. You know, again, she goes like it's white on the outside, but black on the inside. That's so right. She, and then the reverse is Cary Grant's got his black tie outward, but he's got his white like, inside. So there's, there's, yeah. a, there's an inverse. They're kind of mirroring each other a little bit. Yeah, yeah. but there but there's differences too that affect. And he's also in gray. He's not in white or black like villain or hero. Yeah, he's so in gray, now, yeah, so, he's yeah. in the more realistic mode, which mm-hmm. is just like, look, sometimes people do bad things for good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so they go to the ball, and it is assumed from the from the setup as uh, Grace Kelly in gold, the mother in blue, and. Uh, a, uh, he's in a he's he has a black mask on with a giant feather on it. Yes, and, and a giant purple cloak. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's kind of like the uh, the 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 Slender Man or like the uh, if if we're talking from a vi- vi- uh, modern visual reference, it's just like it's like that black kind of masky figure you see running around in Halloween parties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's a but there's a obviously a historical connotation to it in this particular case, like the servant who's helping the court. The yeah, the court. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we assume that's John Roby in there. Well, we hear it's him talk. Be, it's got to be John Roby. We He's hear him talk. talk. Yeah. yeah. So got to be him. So the mother, they're, they're getting drinks. The mother says, oh, I forgot my heart pills. John, can you be a deer and go get them? John runs upstairs to get them and um, comes back. He comes back down with the heart pills, gives them to her. And then uh, Grace Kelly and Cary Grant go dance. Yes. And then they dance the entire evening. They you, never leave the dance floor. Yeah, you could say they dance the night away. The night away. Ha! <laughs> I love Van Halen. <laughs> oh, Alma, you love running with the devil, don't you? <laughs> but they but they outdance everyone in the evening. The cops are just watching them. Yeah, and then they finally retire. Yeah, they're they're finally the last couple on the floor. Everyone like you slowly see everyone get drunk and then kind of retire to their rooms. And the staff and the the orchestra just stops playing. And they're just they're like, just we're like, fucking done. We're done. <laughs> Look, you you we are not here for you. Yeah, I got kids to feed or to see at home. Right. Goodbye. And so then the rest of the staff though conjure, gathers around. So it's clear that they they are the cops who are staking this out. Yeah. Um. So they retire to the room. The cops follow them to the room. Yeah. They go inside, and the black figure uh, takes off his mask. It's Houston. It's Houston. Oh, oh. so there's been a switch. There's been a switcheroo. Yes, there's been a criss- crisscross. <laughs> crisscross. And then they finally they... listen to me. Crisscross. <laughs> and then they cut to the rooftops, and you see Roby out in all black, yes. just kind of hanging out, waiting for the cat to show up. Yep. And he's uh, and so finally we are on the top, the top roof, and the the production design with this combined with the oh, process imagery. This is one of the nicest shots uh, sets in the movie of just these rooftops where they are able to be full, uh, fully acrobatic and yeah. you know, cat-like. Huh? Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, it's true, though. They are moving like cats, uh, Roby and the burglar. Mm-hmm. And we, we're we dealing with that lighting scheme again. We can deal with the green, but we're also really dealing also with just shadows and the way things are mm-hmm. kind of placed around there. There's a lot of expressionist imagery kind of flowing through that just by the nature of the construction yeah. of that set mm-hmm. so um the he scouts he sees the burglar and then out of the shadows uh he struggles with the he struggles with the with the burglar we don't see it yet and then out in the light it's revealed uh-oh it's he, danielle he pulls off the mask and yeah. it's danielle yep. yep and so danielle's been this burglar this whole time and Cary Grant says, I figured it was you because you did all your father's leg work. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> uh, and then it cuts to black. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it? Because he didn't only, he only had one leg. Ha! <laughs> oh, he got the leg cut. Oh, God. Comedy Central, give these people a call. Um, but he, he said, you did all your father's leg work during the war. Yeah, you used to, like, used to do these all when you were a kid. Yeah. Like, and so um, <clears throat> they struggle a little bit on the roof there. Um, the police, the police kind of figure out someone's up there and they think it's just Robbie. And they go, give it up, Robbie. We, yeah. we will put you back behind the bars. <laughs> they're shooting, they're shooting at him here and there. Yeah. And then at one point, um, there's a little chase, like rooftop chase, not very long. Yeah. And, uh, kind of involved. And, and we were talking about the cat like movement. Yeah. Like he mm-hmm. gets on all fours literally yeah. to kind of maneuver around these buildings. And, um, she ends up hanging off of a, a gutter. Yeah. And almost falling, and then uh, a John Roby catches her, and then that's when the the group kind of the crowd kind of gathers underneath, and she drops the bag of jewels, and, yeah, and he makes her confess uh, 
because he's just like, Jay I'll let you go if you die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't care if you die. Yeah. <laughs> but then she, she reveals, she, she says, I was working for my father. And he goes, your father is conveniently dead. dead. So who else, who were, else was it? Yeah, and then it's revealed it's the two other people it's, that are there. It's Bertani, the, yeah, the Bert- guy who ran the, the restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. So everybody was everybody at the restaurant who was suspecting him was just playing I, a part. Well, I, I don't think the rest of the restaurant knew. I no, think, I think it is just Bertani and a uh, uh, Muscle Beach guy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was Muscle Beach guy. That seemed like he was genuinely angry. Yeah, you know, so that, then maybe he's just like maybe he's just part of the regular yeah, staff. So then. I think it was like, yeah, Fusad and Danielle maybe yeah. were the only ones in on it. Yeah, and then D- Father Fusad who has yeah. sadly mm-hmm. passed away. R.I.P. Yeah. Fusad. Um, so we get to the end of the film. The 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 real villains have been revealed. We we kind of do. A, I I also talked about this um, when in when they're in the apartment scene right after um, who we think John John is, and he he re- takes off his mask and it's revealed it's um it's Houston. Houston. Yeah. And Grace Kelly goes to the window, and we hear a scream. I was like, oh, that's uh, like callback to the scream we hear at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, but it's not a scream; it's a train whistle. Yeah, but I thought that was a, a nice little y- yeah. He's callback. So he, yeah, he's immediately calling back through audible imagery, and so yeah. and we talk about back to ones a lot. And yeah. Hitchcock does this, um, but like it's but unlike a back to one that we deal with in the modern context, like we're kind of like the characters back in the rut that they were. Yeah. This is kind of just like just imagery and sound colliding. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock's really good using sound where it needs to be used. Right, like uh, he'll turn the sound, he'll turn the sound off. If it affects the scene better. Yeah. And then um, after, so after everything's revealed, uh, we do another back to one because we, if you remember the, the kid, if you remember kids, the police chase at the beginning. Yes. Um, the police are chasing Roby back to his house. Yes. And find out that it was uh, Grace Kelly made the police drive her. Yes. She's still in her gold gown. Yeah. Make um make the police chase Robbie back to her place, mm-hmm. and um and then they embrace and they embrace just, and she's still in her gold gown, mm-hmm. so it's just like I won my Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to thank the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he 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 admits uh, that he loves her too. Yeah, you know, and then and and this, this is a little nod. This was in the um uh, feature bonus feature, but it was like there's a price. Like she stole his heart. Hey, yeah, <laughs> that's what the real. That's what the movie's about. It wasn't yeah. about finding out who Danielle really was. Just, it was about just to catch to, to catch thief's a thief's heart. heart. <laughs> Aww. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but then there's a price for it. She says, "This is where you live. Oh, mother will love it up here." And then he turns a turn he, to the camera. And he goes, "What? Yeah. yeah." And then and you know as and as I was saying as the movie ended, it's like, "Wait, no, cut. We're not done. No, no, hold on. Your mother can't live here." But she's a delightful woman. I yeah, so I guess it'll that. be okay. I wouldn't. I don't think it would be all that. Bad. She could be the head of operations for our right. theft industry. Just <laughs> build another wing. Yes, exactly. And have that be the mother's wing. That's yes, fine. build another clay wing out of that that's stone right. house. <laughs> so then that's the end. Uh, Paramount Picture. Mm-hmm. So we are, you know, brought to the end of this fantastic escapist fair. Um, there was another ending that was going to happen to this film, and we learned about this in the behind-the-scenes featurette. Um, I think we also didn't. Didn't we hear church bells? Yeah, we hear, end? Yeah, yeah, we kind of hear a bit of like the the church bells within that. Um, but like, but the um, I'm trying to remember what we had for that alternate ending. Um, it oh, was, 
they go back to the picnic spot. They, they go back to the picnic spot. And they're making out, and uh, the the yes. emergency brake isn't on. It starts to roll and, off the cliff. And, and he's like, John, and can you... Can you put your foot on the brake, please? Uh, yeah. And then it would be dangling off the cliff a little yeah. bit. Which... Would be way too cartoony. I guess so, yeah. It may, I don't know. It just it seems like it would be too... This movie treads a line between... Uh, 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 of, uh, uh, I, I think it's a funny ending, but I don't think I, I don't think it fits. It doesn't fit the elegance that we've been dealing with. It right, becomes yeah. too screwbally, mm-hmm. like or it becomes too slap. It's like, slap, whoa, slap, 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 like this, yeah. look, this isn't a cartoon, John. This is, this is, <laughs> I know you like the Roadrunner, but we can't do that shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then that's the end, and you know we've got uh, we've got a film that. I mean, we'll we'll jump into the box office stats on this film. This the original rentals on this film are four point five million on a two point five million dollar budget, so that's a hit. Wow. And it grosses a combined total on the from the original release with also the re releases. It's eight point seventy five million dollars in nineteen fifty five. I'm not a big fan of discussing money or awards because I don't care. However, but but I will say. Yeah, critics didn't like this film mm-hmm. based on just what they had gotten from Hitchcock previous. Yeah. It was a hit. It was nominated for three Academy Awards and one for Best Cinematography. Best Cinematography Color, because they still had the color black oh, and white. Oh, that's right. This that's is right. before they started yeah. consolidating the category. And it was also nominated for Art Direction, which had Hal Peria, Joseph McMillan Johnson, Samuel Corner, and Arthur Krams. And Edith Head was Edith nominated Head for, for Costumes. costumes. Uh, didn't as- win, but... You know, I mean, but at least she got a nod for that. That's nice. yeah. At least they were like, "Good, good on you, Edith. Good on you, Edith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah dress those rich people nicely. Bravo." <laughs> um, but the and Burks's uh, award is very justified because he doesn't win an award for a Hitchcock movie after this. Oh, really? So yeah. So this is like this is his acknowledgement. Oh, that's good then. And we talk about Hitchcock in the terms of the award circuit. He and Cary Grant run in the very same circle of just like they never won a competitive Oscar. Neither of them. Yeah. Hitchcock was barely nominated, and when he was nominated, it was for films you wouldn't expect like lifeboat i don't know and also like best picture winners sometimes are not the yes. best picture that came out that year you it, know what i mean like exactly i mean you've got i mean we we dealt with that controversy last year with green book being yeah. awarded that award and you know some people have their opinions about this year's awards best picture winner although right. le- there's been less outrage with it than there has been in previous years because it's kind of hard not to love Parasite. It's pretty well made. <laughs> well, it's amazing filmmaking from Bong yeah. Joon Ho. Um, but yeah, like I mean, back in history, back back in the I, period, but, we're but talking I wonder about. if like Hitchcock didn't care about that stuff either. There's, you know what I mean? There's records show that he was rather irritated by it. Oh, and okay. when he did finally get his Lifetime Achievement Award, it was kind of just like a fuck. It was almost like a fuck you. He felt, oh, and so okay. he all he said was thank you, and then walked off stage. It's the shortest acceptance speech in history, <laughs> and it very much suggests like, look. This is this is not even close to compensation for what I've done yeah. in the industry. And meanwhile, though, when they did the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award, he's much more engaged and involved, even though he's older. Yeah. So you know, there's it's clear that the Academy burned him enough. I mean, yeah. and also keep in mind, when he's first nominated for an Oscar for Rebecca, he loses it, but the movie wins Best Picture, and who gets to pick it up but David Oselznick? Yeah. Who, I've talked about how I feel about Oselznick, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna toot that horn a bunch more times because at the end of the day, like it's funny since we've done that episode on Rebecca, I came to the conclusion I'm just like you know like I don't love Selznick as a person, 
and I don't like Gone with the Wind. Yeah. But there are films he produced that I do like, like Rebecca mm-hmm. and King Kong. Yeah. He's the guy who gets King Kong fully made. Yeah. So, and the, and as far as Hitchcock with awards, you know, like he was nominated for Lifeboat. And if there if there's any win you could have given it to him, I actually would agree with that win. Yeah. Because that is a... It is an underappreciated movie by today, but if you watch it today, it holds up extremely well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he never and Cary Grant never won a competitive Oscar. Yeah. Nominated, he was nominated for films that we don't remember today. Right. But we remember North by Northwest. We mm-hmm. remember To Catch a Thief. We remember The Awful Truth. Not nominated for those right. films. And I'm not trying to say To Catch a Thief deserved anything <laughs> it didn't get. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I just when. When there people, seems to be a lot of discussion around awards and how much money a movie makes. And it's like, you know what? Uh, did you enjoy the movie? Right. You know what I mean? Well, like the, that, that should be what counts. Yeah. And the box office for this in particular is more important to the respect of this is a, the period that we are ta- discussing is Hitchcock's golden period. Right. So it establishes why he gets the control. He gets the control. Yeah. Uh, eventually down the line where. He can take a gamble like Psycho mm-hmm. and then just say, like, well, I'll just put it up the money myself. Yeah. And then it it succeeds, and the studio that makes something like To Catch a Thief doesn't trust him. Yeah. They don't get no money. Right. He gets all the money because he, <laughs> he was just like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> ha! Ha! <laughs> see? See? They, they just they get me. They get, these guys get me. Hu- their humor is relatable, Alma. Um, and then Alma's just, like, rolling her eyes like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so... You know, and and the wrap up the legacy of To Catch a Thief. You know, when we, it's 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 a film that's easily readily available on Prime, so you can check this film out pretty mm-hmm. easily. And you can usually find the DVD. Rather I think I bought that one at Walmart for five bucks. Yeah, and it's a, it's one of the only Paramount era films of Hitchcock's that Paramount actually still owns. Yeah, because the majority of them were bought by MCA in the '60s during the big library buyout. So. Uh, it's an interesting film in that legacy and of all the Hitchcock films from the Paramount era, you know, when you see the promotional image for it on prime and whatnot, it does say Alfred Hitchcock, but it's also, it's mainly focusing on this is Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. Yeah. So Hitchcock That's a big is, draw. Hitchcock isn't an afterthought. It's just that it's, you're not selling it on that macabre. You're not selling it on that, uh, that dark sensibility. So it doesn't. It almost doesn't pop out right away to sell it. That yeah, way. I mean, if people came to it being like, "Oh, I love Psycho. I love Rear Window. I, love, <laughs> I know I love uh, Dial In for Murder. I love Stranger on a Train. I'm yeah. going to catch out. I'm going to check out. Excuse me. I'm going to check out to catch a thief. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, okay. There is some suspense in it, but it's just different. Yeah, it's different. It's suspense. not as strong, mm-hmm. and it's a you know, it's 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 blended in with romantic comedy. Right, know? but it's and it's when we talk about filmmakers who deviate from the norm. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Scorsese, and yeah, um, you know, Spielberg does this. Uh, actually, Spielberg he wins his Oscar for taking the biggest of uh, divergences from yeah. his style. Uh, yeah. that which kind of starts with stuff like Color Purple and Always. But then, and Empire of the Sun, but Schindler's List is mm-hmm. decidedly yeah. not Spielbergian in the traditional, like, what we know it to be. Right. Um, although some critics complain that he uh, does the Spielberg touch in it, and I'm just like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but, and also Saving Private Ryan, it's another situation where, like, you know, decidedly a visual difference and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, heck, we can even bring it to George Lucas. He does something like American Graffiti and then just in 180s and says, like, I'm going to make a space movie. <laughs> I like Flash Gordon. I like Flash Gordon. Or do you think, do you think Flash Gordon would be a cool movie? I think that would be a cool movie. Why do people like Boba Fett? 
I don't get Boba. Alma, do you get like why do these nerds care about this character that falls into a pit? It doesn't have any action. They made a what? They made a show about people that look like him. Oh my god! I'm glad I'm dead. Um, but um, and also other director Coen brothers actually do this a lot. Yeah, They're, they change their style up a lot. You know, they win their Oscar, their ba- their best director Oscar for No Country for Old Men. Yeah, a decidedly dark. Albeit humorous affair, mm-hmm. uh, they win their first screenplay for Fargo, which is much more lighthearted. Yeah, but then they can do something like Intolerable Cruelty or The Lady Killers yeah. or Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Uh, heck, Hail Caesar does this too. Where yeah, they're they're clearly doing screwball comedy, but then they'll just say, well, "No, let's do a noir story." Yeah, I just I, I I like it better when filmmakers are able to do what they want to do. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, like I mean, like the, sometimes I, I admire filmmakers who are able to take that risk more than the ones who stay in their style way too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't get talked about all the time but about this, but Tarantino did that with Jackie Brown. He took a huge yeah. turn after Pulp Fiction and arguably Hateful Eight does something similar. And you, you could say what you want about the quality of the, the films that Kevin Smith has been putting out lately, yeah. but it's, the, it's what he wants to do yeah. and he's finding money to do it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, and now granted he just did and Silent Bob reboot, which is a little bit back to territory, but he still and, gets to do some of the new. Yeah, movies. and I and I, you know what? I've I've seen all of those movies in the theater. Like I went, we saw Red State together. Yeah. Um, I saw Tusk with you. Yes. We yeah, we saw Tusk. I went to Yoga Hosers. So did I. Uh, and I went to Jane Silent Bob reboot. As did I. And I, and I was just like, you know what? The, I don't love them as much as his other stuff, but okay. it's just. And that's also a hard bar to. It is. Like, I think I like Clerks 2 more than you do to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. Because I, I think yeah. Clerks 2 is an emotional masterpiece. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I also understand why there are problems with that. All right. But, like, yes, you're right. I mean, like, Kevin Smith takes a left turn with just, just Just as an example, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, frankly, it's a, he does another left turn with Tusk. Can yeah. He, oh, yeah. A big left turn. Um, but, like, and again, he is able to find a way to make a change within his own career um i mean robert rodriguez was doing a lot of like smaller smaller action films and mm-hmm. he just did alita yeah you know? now granted there's another person behind that um, who helped him yeah, yeah. Helped him. but yeah. that's it was a great movie yeah it, yeah it was a fun movie it's, it's lots of fun and it's got robert rodriguez's style mm-hmm. yeah um, i mean and i'm trying to i'm trying to think of like some other filmmakers who have kind of been doing that i mean like you know I mean, Chazelle, Danny Chazelle, you know, wins uh, wins his Oscar and like wins his notoriety for a musical. Yeah. What does he do? He goes and makes a a, a first man on the moon movie, which is decidedly different territory. Yeah. Very decidedly <laughs> different territory. Um, and I mean, Jor- Jordan Peele kind of does this slightly. I mean, Get Out is a uh, a, a a lighter horror. It's been described as more of a like lighter horror social yeah thriller. Uh, I argue it's a mad doctor movie. Yeah. A mad scientist movie, because there's a mad scientist in the movie. Yeah. Um, and also it does the commentary, but Us is a big divergence back into straight horror, mm-hmm. the way it's presenting itself and the way the monsters are presented. So, you know, everybody does this. Yeah. Rob Zombie, Lords of Salem, very yeah. different from everything else. And I love Lords of Salem. People people don't like it because it's so different. I, 
found a copy with that like higher, uh, the 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 3D kind of like picture on the front yeah. of Sherry Moon. It's did did cool. you come with us to the theater to see that? No, I did not. Okay, no. so there was these people behind us. Um, <laughs> the credits rolled. And the guy goes, "Lords of Salem, more like Lords of Shit." <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> and it and it did and it did take a couple of viewings for me to kind of be like, okay, I like what happened here. It yeah. took it took because um, at first I was, I think I was expecting something more chaotic. Yeah, and what you're getting is a slow burn. Yeah, he's very and methodical with it. Be, and 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 that's sort of the problem I had with Thirty One and Three from Hell is I was expecting something much more violent and chaotic, and it just felt kind of. It felt kind of uh, restrained to me. It's a little the thirty-one. I think has a lot of interesting moving parts that don't mesh well together. The, the I love Doomhead. I love I that love character. Doomhead. Doomhead's great. But that's about what I like about that movie. Yeah. And Ken Foray is in it. Ken Foray. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like Malcolm McDowell. I don't like him in that movie. I like Malcolm McDowell, but I. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But I, Welcome to 31. <laughs> but I mean, that, that was supposed to be like psycho clowns running loose amok. Yeah. And it just felt like it was super contained. Now, keep in mind also that's the one that they had to crowdfund. So it's. Well, and it's because he couldn't get his hockey movie made. Yeah. Uh, the, and, the, and the Philadelphia and, Flyers. And people yeah. were like, well, we want horror. And he. So it was almost like. He did it out of spite. Out of spite. And yeah. maybe his hand was forced a little bit. Yeah. And it's. And, you know, he just did Three from Hell. And uh, I still have to see it because I want to see. Sid Haig's final moment in the movie. Oh yeah. Um, but um, R.I.P. Sid Haig. But um, what's interesting is that there was a movie he was gonna do, and we talk about directors who should divert. Um, uh, he was signed up to do Raised Eyebrows, the movie about Groucho Marx's final years. Yeah. And he described it. I didn't. I had never read Steve Stolier's book until that news was announced. I knew about Groucho's final years, yeah. but I had never read Steve's um, account of it because mm-hmm. he was. Groucho Marx's uh, private assist- a personal assistant uh, who worked under the tyranny of Aaron Fleming. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I know who Sherry would play, and I think it would be amazing. Yeah. I think she'd be great as Aaron. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the, the way he described it was, it's Groucho's Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is the perfect <laughs> marriage of your style yeah. and, and another genre. Yeah. If you did this, it would be amazing. Yeah. I don't know who you get for Groucho. The joke would be Gilbert Gottfried because he does a good old Groucho, but I yeah. I think obviously you try to do something different. But that's a director who could take an approach with his style mm-hmm. and apply it to something different, much like Hitchcock did with To Catch yeah. a Thief, where he's taking his technique – and inserting it into a yeah. flight of fancy. Well, I think it's funny how I, I like I I was complaining about people who complain about To Catch a Thief, and meanwhile I'm <laughs> I'm complaining about Thirty One and Three from Hell. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so everyone does it. Yeah, but well, we we pick and choose. I, and and, and <laughs> it would be great if I ran into someone who had the perspective. Yeah. On Thirty One and Three from Hell, that made me appreciate it more. Right. Um, I'll tell you, I don't. I I'm not a fan of Thirty One. However, it's not like I walked out of it and was just like. I mean, I've. When I think when I first saw it, I was like a little bit more trashy with it, but I've like yeah. with time removed, I'm just like, ah, it wasn't a huge waste of my time. No, I no, I I glad that I saw it. Yeah, and it's like a, it's a good shutter watch mm-hmm. when you can sit back and watch yeah. it. So like, you know, like it's I think it's a film like Zombie's career is very interesting in the respect that like we still have a lot more time to maybe see what he can do with it if we yeah. can give him the resources to do it. I, I think yeah he's I think he's a guy who really doesn't like the system yeah and he's making system he is very much going outside of it yeah and, and uh, he uh, 
I think that Three from Hell was something that he found a way to bring that family back, and then yeah. Sid Haig's troubles kind of caught up with it. I just wish, because, I mean, isn't that what happened with Lords of Salem? They were just like, were like, here, make whatever movie you want. Yeah. And I was and like, was, that's was, what I love. That was the origin area of Jason Blum and Blumhouse, because yeah. Blum produced it with Oren Pelly, who, you know, did Paranormal yeah. Activity. And that's, and that's what I feel like. To catch a thief is they yeah. were just like here's some money yeah you're gonna make this movie you want to make it go for it yeah. you know what I mean so then that's that's you know and the Paramount's taking you know they've already got a hit on their hands with Rear Window so yeah. it's just like there's there's a success point that goes boom 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 yeah there are misses in the fifties like Trouble with Harry uh, Vertigo breaks even yeah um, and uh, but there's not a lot of wiggle. There's there's not a lot of room where he's like failing or anything. Yeah. Um, the failure for the end of this period doesn't really come till Marnie. Uh, and then Marnie starts to decline and then you get torn curtain and then frenzy is the only time it ever picks up again. And then oh, okay. it just dies after that. Hmm. So, but Matt, thank you for coming to chat with oh, me yeah, about Alfred sure. Hitchcock to catch a thief. Cary Grant, you know, and <laughs> Grace and, Kelly, Grace Kelly, uh, Jesse Rice Landis, all these wonderful characters. John Williams, no, that not that one, not that one. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I I want to ask, like, you know, like if you wanted to tell anybody about what you're doing lately, like just pitch away. Oh, um, you know, I'm I'm on Twitter, but I'm there's nothing interesting going on there. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I mean there is interesting things going on on Twitter. Yeah, maybe yeah. just not with your feed. Right. Or, okay. Um, I'm not really um planning any anything uh anytime soon um i am building um designing a uh, a home tiki bar yeah so that's exciting uh after film school i i <laughs> i decided to do a lot of writing i wanted to do a lot more writing so that's really what i'm doing right is i'm working on i have a, a, a lot of projects that i i have a i have a bunch of files open on my computer <laughs> and i had ideas to them all the time so so you're um, in the creative process. You're just working. Yeah, mm-hmm. right and on. I'm. I am. Um, I might be on a uh, a show soon. I'll let you know. Oh, keep yeah. us posted. But don't. I wouldn't even take that to the bank. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, we'll we'll find out. We'll catch yeah. up with you later. I, I will this. post. Uh, I'll post uh, when my tiki bar is done. I'll post pictures to that to my Twitter. It's yeah. Um, you mean to yeah, yeah d- give it the Twitter handle at yeah. craving underscore brains. Do um, it, and yeah. that's a double entendre. Speaking of double entendres, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's um, got a yeah. social media account. Uh, he's got everything. And I think I, Brian and I do want to pick up um, Grimly again. We just don't know in what format. Yeah, explain explain Grimly a little bit. So Grimly, Uncle Grimly is a, a horror host. Um, not unlike, type character, not unlike the 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 Elviras or the vampires of uh, of a certain age, right? Uh, or Svenguli, if you're more um, deep uh, into it, <laughs> yeah. But it and we weren't, and we 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 tried this using this character uh, a couple different ways, and I think um, we might we're, we're going to do something with him in the future. I'm I'm not sure, but that's something me and Brian do, and. Um, yeah. Brian Richards. Brian or, Richards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which he'll be on an episode, I'm sure, of this uh, Hopefully. Family, so, yeah, I need to get yeah. him involved in this. So. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. I'll <laughs> keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I, I, I think Brian and I might start up our Static Creeps horror podcast I again. want you to because I want that to come back. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be strictly horror next time around. It, we might delve into just kind of genre film uh, or just film discussion in, in general. 
We don't know. <laughs> it could be anything. We don't. Yeah, but I mean, like, we 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 definitely don't want to do like. Cause I listen to a couple horror podcasts, and I, just, I we don't want to do the normal thing, which we I don't think we did when we were when we were doing it, but. You know, just you know, just kind of running into that similar genre territory. Yeah. Everybody kind of talks about the same. Territory. I kind of yeah, because I like because we we would try to like kind of watch kind of mainstream horror stuff, and I, I would always kind of want to delve into something that maybe the average person would not seek out themselves. Right. Um. And I know there's horror podcasts that do that as well. But right. But. You know. it, it, we we just we get really goofy and uh, <laughs> and I think it's it's smart for you to try to tackle the genre fair yeah so, so. um but so yeah I have nothing <laughs> <laughs> I think you have everything My, you brought it to the table with today's <laughs> episode you brought your expertise yeah. in one of your favorite films yeah. to the table here and you you talked we talked had a good conversation about you know expectations we have out of the directors we admire yeah and I yeah. think that that's like a good lesson to take away from this is that. You know, we're talking about a director that is entirely consistent, and even in the film that diverts the most, mm-hmm. it's still consistent. All of his regular themes are in there. Yep. Uh, yep. Every, everything. Ha! Ha! <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to wrap it up for the Shambly Silhouette this week. Uh, you can uh, check it out on realnerdspodcast.com. Uh, episodes are coming out as they can come out because the schedule has changed as such. Um, I will let you know if the consistency returns to twice a month or if it's going to be once a month or whatever it's going to be. Uh, and the articles are on hiatus until I can figure out how to reboot them. Um, and uh, on the next episode, I'm not sure yet because this will be the last of the pre-recorded episodes. But uh, we'll we'll have something fun for it. So, uh, I mean, but we're going to be like, if this is the end of the second half uh, or the second portion of Hitchcock's uh discussions i think uh by the time you see us again we'll be getting we'll be beginning to wrap up this whole affair and then hitchcock will uh you know be moved on from and we'll get to talk about a new topic eventually so but uh that has been the shamley silhouette until next time good night good night